Episode 59, episode number 59, Hot Shot Scott. It's a winning episode for you. This is like this is like what you like each week. You like Husky wins and oh, Seahawks wins, that's right? That's right. What a big weekend you for me. You got both. I did, yes. And you like Cougar losses or you don't care? <sighs> I'm at the point now where I, I, I don't really you care. Laugh. Like you I, kind of laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of do. But... Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have so many friends that went there. It's hard to like hate them and root yeah. against. You know, I know so but, many people. But when they but... win, you don't get you don't get Mike Leach calling them fat and entitled. And oh, oh man, you don't get those good quotes. You don't get those good clips from right. from, from Mike Leach when they win. So you got to root for them to lose to get those get those quotes. I like that he threw in fat. <laughs> he <laughs> really? threw in fat. I got the. I, I have it for later on in our episode fifty nine. I can pull it up right now. What did he say? He said, "quote We're fat." We're dumb, we're happy and entitled, we're very soft, we get a lot of good press, we like to read it a lot, mm. we like to pat ourselves on the back, and if we get any resistance, we fold. That's what he said. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> Who would want to play for him? I want to play for him. Really? No. I mean, if you're 18... I want to cover him. I don't know that I want to play for right. him. I mean, I think that you and I and like our generation could handle it a little better since we, that was like all of our coaches, kind of surly. And, yeah, yeah. You know, we just called them coach. We never knew their name. Yeah. But nowadays, the ET, I mean, I've, you know, I'm around some of them. They're, they are entitled. And, and fat. Uh, well, and read their own clippings. Yes. I don't, I don't know if he meant it literally, right? He just kind of means fat and happy. We had some success and yeah. we rested on well, our laurel. Does he mean physically fat? I don't think he, <laughs> Maybe the old lineman, that's it. I don't know. I don't know. Well, Woody Harrelson said on Saturday Night Live, the pre- are you a Saturday Night Live guy, or is it just from your youth that you a Saturday nope, Night Live? I, I've seen every episode since like the last 15 years, but it's usually a Sunday morning type oh, guy. So, oh. But I was out of town this weekend. I haven't got oh, to Oh, you it yet. were? Were you back in Burbank again? Yes. Oh, boy. I was there. Did I'd, you see Wink Martindale, or is he still in, would, in Hollywood? Is he alive, Wink Martindale? I think he is. Yeah, got to be I somewhere. would love to see him. Should we get him on the pod? That would be great. And then we can ask him, have you ever recorded you alive? the show? Are we'll you alive? Yeah, let's start with that. <laughs> have you ever recorded the show in Burbank in your life? And if he says no, then so great. Let's get him on. I'll we get him on. Should, we could get him on probably, right? He's got to be like 80. Do we know he's, we, we should know he's alive yeah, before we, we start calling like his, his family. Yeah. You know, Wink's dead. I don't want to just get him on. I want to go have dinner with him in Burbank. Well, I that would be my I, dream. I don't know that I can do that. You know, he was a radio guy. I, I told you I saw a documentary about game show hosts. I don't know. Yeah. I must have been bored. But it was kind of interesting. That most people got their start in radio, and then they sort of branch we're out. Gonna we're going to call Wink Martindale. We're going to find Wink Martindale, and we're going to put him on Mitch Unfiltered. But, I'm ready. So Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live had its premiere. I guess it's its 45th season. Yep, my age. That's on how I Saturday remember. night. And I'm assuming you have not seen it yet, or you have seen it? I have it? not seen it yet. I'll probably see it well, tonight. I watch it because my wife likes it. My sons seem to like it. My oldest son really likes it. Yep. I kind of sit there like the old man get off my lawn. I sit there the whole time to myself saying, God, it used to be really, really good. Well, that's me during the musical acts. I'm always like, well, no. I don't even know. Are those called, Are they still called musical acts? Because uh, they don't sound like music to me. <laughs> it's like two computers fighting is what it sounds like. She was like. walking. I don't even. <laughs> and, my, and both kids knew exactly who she was. Yeah. I had never heard of her. Do you know who she is? I didn't see it. Who was the guest? I, Eilish. Eilish uh, Bobby. Somebody, mm, Bobby of. Eilish or something. No, I don't know. No so idea. They both knew. They said, Dad, you know, listen to the song. You know the song. I'm like, I don't know. No. She's like walking up on the sides and then up on the roof. They did something with CG effects and so yeah. forth. But the line of the night that that is most appropriate for episode 59, 
the 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 host was was Woody Harrelson. Oh, good, he's hilarious. He was a he was the guest host of the season premiere of Saturday Night Live, and they did a of course they did a lot of political stuff. Yeah, and they had a debate with all the presidential contenders or pretenders, and Woody Harrelson played the role of Joe Biden. Oh, nice. Yeah, they How put the that? teeth on him, the whole the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And at the very end of the skit, the debate, he said, and I quote, I'm like a plastic straw. I've worked all these years for you, and now you're mad at me. <laughs> right, that's so true. I know. And I thought, oh, my God, that's yeah. oh, we got to take that for episode 59. That's, that's right. exactly the way I feel about a plastic straw. Right. It's worked all these years, and now somehow, some way, we're not allowed to use. And anybody who uses a plastic straw is frowned upon now. So it's good, you know. I'm 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 feeling like uh, singled out. That's all. Yeah, but he agrees feeling with you. Good. So now it's, you feel kind of vindicated. Someone else feels that way about the well, plastic straw. Well, you know, Saturday Night Live <laughs> did a did a skit, and yeah. they they included the plastic straw. Episode fifty nine, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Mitch Unfiltered. Uh, people still complaining about the Google Podcasts. I'm sure it works because it works for me. Yeah. It works for some people. Listen, subscribe, rate us on Apple. I do need to make an announcement. We have to make a decision right here and right now. Wow, I wasn't ready for decisions today. Well, it's, you know it. that additional shows are available courtesy of what we call Patreon. Mm-hmm. If you become a patron of Mitch Unfiltered, you get access to loads more content. We do a second full show per week. Then I do a fantasy show. I do a gambling show. I do a pick show. All for the patrons, right? Typically, when does the patron show, when would 59P come out this week? Typically, it comes out on a Thursday. Yes, and we recorded on a... Oh, that's right, on a Wednesday. Yeah. We've got a pretty big game, a pretty substantial game on Thursday night. That's right. Do we want to record still on Wednesday night and come out on Thursday morning, or should we record on Thursday night after the game is over between the Rams and the Seahawks and release one day late, but we'll have all of our observations. We'll react to the Thursday night thriller between the Rams and the Seahawks. Now a matchup of two three-and-one teams after the Rams went out and inexplicably lost. They How many did they, 55 points they gave 55 up? 55 to, to 40. What was that? They gave, uh, that <laughs> I was thinking, what would it take for the Seahawks to score 55 against the Rams? Doesn't that feel like they have trouble scoring against the Rams the past five years? Yeah, because Errol Don, Aaron Donald right. lives in their backfield, right? right? How yeah. does somebody score Jameis Winston threw for 385 yards and four touchdowns. And they went to Los Angeles and beat the Rams 55-40, meaning the Rams and the Seahawks are in a tie for second place right. in the NFC West. The behind Niners, the, the Niners had a bye. The San Francisco yep. 49 So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to propose to you right now as we record 59, I'm going to propose to you that we record 59P on Thursday night at about <clears throat> 9 o'clock. I could do that. I'm in. After the game is over. Yeah, I'm in. And we we just react to what we see. Let's I don't do know. It. I don't know that they're going to be reacting to a win. I don't. I don't really feel great facing the Rams after they lose a game like that. I, it's something about how teams, yeah. good teams, bounce back. But that's the way I felt but, against yeah. you know when Utah went in there and lost to USC. I remember last week I said the Cougs are going to be in for it. Utah's going to come in with a chip, and maybe the Rams will too. But maybe the Rams just aren't as good as we think either. That could be a possibility. What did Gurley have? 16 yards today. 16 yards. He was what day? What are you talking about? Uh, the day the Rams played. Yeah, that would be Sunday. Oh, that's right, Sunday. Yeah. Uh, 16 yards. Is, he, uh, is that it? Because I saw him run. run he I had saw a touchdown, but he had 16 yards on the day. I mean, is he done done? I don't know. No, he's got arthritis no. He still looks knee. very good. He's still, to me, he looks good. 
Well, then why'd they throw 68 times if he looked so good? Well, because they were down like 21 nothing before they could blink. <laughs> they're down the whole game. So they, well, they were, they were down 21 zip. Jeez. I think they were down 21 nothing. You're right, yeah. And, and then it went it to became, 21 14. It got to 21 14. The Rams but it went back it. up and down, up and down the field. Hopefully, Crazy. Russell Wilson. We'll find something in the tape this this week, and they'll be able to throw the ball all over the field on Thursday. So, can we say now, 59P, instead of this coming Thursday, will be this coming Friday early morning with yep. all the reaction and response and comments from the game on uh, on Thursday night. I like okay? it. Okay? We'll do that. Uh, Andy Reid, before we begin, we actually begin the show officially, Andy Reid has to be mentioned in the, in the tease. I haven't seen this. I have not heard this. Do you know that Andy Reid's team won by the hair on their chinny-chin-chin in Detroit on Sunday on against Sunday. the Lions? They yes. were behind for much of the game, and they came back, and they won, a ga- they won the game late, 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 and he was all excited. An excitable Andy Reid oh, who, came into the, who came into the clubhouse, who came into the locker room after, got the team together, and he said, and I quote, Listen! Not all of Mozart's paintings were perfect. The end result, though, is that this sucker's going to sell for a million dollars. Mozart's paintings? Yes, Mozart's paintings. Oh. Now, you went to Eastgate State University. Right, yes. The University of Southern Crossroads. Yeah, USC is what I Otherwise known as Bellevue College. Yes. Uh, do you need me to, to, to point out the, the error in that comment? Yes. Listen, not all of Mozart's paintings were perfect. <laughs> the end result is this sucker's going to sell for a million dollars. Hey, coach. I, I think Mozart might have been a musician as opposed to a painter, <laughs> but I don't know. I'm no genius either. God, just giving football players and football coaches, you know, oh. not doing anything to dispel the rumor oh, of our, our smarts. Andy Reid. Episode, well, it is sports people. Just sports yeah, people. I we, guess, yeah, I guess. Just jocks. We just don't. We just, no, uh, all of us. Yeah. Sports, but we just have no culture. We don't, we don't really know about anything else. Yeah. People who do sports for a living, whether you're a player or a coach, most of us have just really no ability to look outside the box and know that there's actually a world out there outside of sports. You know, Steve, That's what my wife tells me all, all, all the time. You know, there's something more than football, <laughs> baseball, and basketball out there. Do you know that? Right. And I'm like, huh? Do what now? <laughs> I probably would have said Mozart's paintings too. You know Steve Levy? And he's ESPN, right? I, I do. I've been asked if he's a relative only, oh, only a million and a half times. Yes. So Tepper tells a story about being like an intern at the yeah. same place he was. And at WFAN before? I think yeah, it, yeah. yeah. And, and so Steve was talking about having to move. And, and yeah. he's like, oh, it's such a pain having to move. And, and, and Rob's like, yeah, I know. You got to move like all your CDs. He's like, well, I don't have any CDs. And Rob's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I, I'm not into music. He's like, what do you mean you're not into music? He's like, I, I don't listen to music. It was like just sports. That's it. Rob was like fascinated that he doesn't like, he doesn't even like music outside no of sports. No inclination <laughs> that there's actually a world out right, there. Right, just sport. And that's a lot of us. Yeah. A lot of us are like that. It's kind of sad. It's kind of painful. It is. Brady Henderson on episode 59, I think. Rick Neuheisel on episode 59, I hope. Corey Brock is definitely on episode 59. Corey Brock is the Athletics Mariners insider, and we reminisced about what happened on Thursday night at what they call T-Mobile Park now, not Safeco Field. I've been corrected on the Twitter. The last yes. ever of Felix Hernandez's starts as a Mariner, and I have some thoughts in our first segment that I want to share with you and our listeners about that. I do feel very strongly about where Felix Hernandez's place is in this town's sports history. Of course, it's sports. Right. If Felix Hernandez did paintings, <laughs> I don't have any idea. Yeah. And then there's a guy named Vahe Gregorian who's going to be on episode 59. He's a Kansas City Star columnist. 
major allegations. I don't know how much of a college basketball nut you are. I'm a huge college basketball nut. And Kansas, the prestigious Kansas basketball program, has been under the gun. Bill Self, one of the top coaches in America, is under fire after the NCAA notified them of major infractions. Ooh. And there's an investigation. And so we're going to go to Kansas City to somebody who actually follows and is real close to that program to find out, is this the beginning of the end for Bill Self at Kansas and the Jayhawks basketball program? Feels like he's been there a while, hasn't he? He has been there a while. Yeah. He's won national championships. He's been ultra successful. They are one of the top, yeah. you know, two or three or four programs in America. But now we find out this. All right, episode 59. Tom Lee, our old boss. Yes. I once called Kansas UK. Yeah, it's KU. <laughs> oh, I found out quickly. No, 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 no. We are not UK intern. Now, it's funny because had you said Mozart's paintings, he would not have known that you said anything That's wrong. True. But he knew UK right. versus KU. That he knows. That he knows. Yeah. But you could have said Mozart's Mozart's paintings on the air, and nobody would have figured it out. <laughs> right. right. All right. Episode 59. All right, let's get it going. Episode 59 presented by Daniels Broiler. I'm excited to announce that we will be doing a special Seahawks viewing party at the new downtown location in the Hyatt Regency on 1111. November the 11th, be with us. Drinks included, heavy hors d'oeuvres included, and lots of loud cheering as the Seahawks travel to Santa Clara to take on the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football. Daniels, Mitch Unfiltered, and the Seahawks, November the 11th, be with us to root the Seahawks on. There's no place like Daniels. For special occasions, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, Jordan Flowers Guild Mortgage Group and his team are sitting around waiting for your call. They will save you money every month with three top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office alone. Save money every month on your mortgage. Do a refi with Jordan Flowers and Guild Mortgage, the Kirkland office at 425 425- 250-3150. That's 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest, always innovating. Evergreen Golf Call, the new Evervestment program, allows normal people like you and me to get the same expertise that Evergreen offers. They're very wealthy investors. Evervestment.com. That's E-V-E-R-V-E-S-T-M-E-N-T. Dot com And Zeke's Pizza, now in Woodenville with 17 locations. I had an awesome time in Linwood on Sunday despite the loss. Where should we go next? How about next Saturday's Washington-Stanford game? How about the Kirkland location of Zeke's Pizza? Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Episode number 59 starts right now. Unfiltered. Newton is dependable. I like the way he runs. I think he can run wide too, but I like him in between the tackles, and I think he's going to be a real... He's got five touchdowns this year. I think he'll have 10 or more his freshman year, and I think that he'll be either second or first. I'll say second on the all-time Washington touchdown scoring list before he leaves. Unfiltered. The Seahawks contained the Saints to 265 total yards. At the end of this season, I'm willing to make a bet with you right now. I'll bet you right now a Taco Time Taco that at the end of the year, when you look back at the 16 games, that 265 yards of total offense by the opponent will be one of the three best games that the Seahawks play all year. And they got blown out. Mitch is unfiltered. 
episode 59. Episode Julian Peterson. 59. Oh, I remember Julian Peterson. Yeah, yeah sure. He was pretty good for a minute yeah. or two for yeah. the Seattle Seahawks. He was good. If I said to you, episode Ray Penny, would you know what that meant? No. Ooh. P-E-N-N-E-Y. No, Ray P-I-N-N-E-Y. See, I didn't know until I prepared for episode 59, and you don't think that I prepare for these things. That's true, I don't. I found out about Ray Penny. I would have not known about Ray Penny. No idea. He was a center. He wore number 59 for the University of Washington in the 1970s. He actually went to Shorecrest High School, then the University of Washington. He grew up in Shoreline. And I believe he's still alive and well somewhere here in the Pacific Northwest. He would be drafted in the second round by the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 70s and start on the offensive line in one of their Super Bowls. He owns two Super Bowl rings from that Steelers dynasty. Ray Penny, former second-team All-American offensive lineman for the University of Washington, wore number 59. Episode Ray Penny. Is that it? Are we done? With the, for 59s? Well, well, those are the locals, <laughs> Julian Peterson and Ray Penny. What about Blair Bush? Didn't he wear 59? For the- yeah, we talked about this. <laughs> he wore 59 for the Seahawks. Okay, well, he was me- good for the Seahawks. But we mentioned him in 58 because he wore 58 for the Huskies, or yeah, right. maybe it was the other way around. All right, well, can we not mention him when it's 59? How like many today? times do we get to mention him on six? Are you going to find a way? Is he, did, he make, did he paint? He was I once mean, in, he, uh, he was on an intramural league, and he wore 57 okay. in college. All right. Let's bring up Blair Bush. Thank you. Well, uh, you know. Julian Peterson, Ray Penny, Blair Bush, and it's not going to be any of, the, any of the three. Okay. There's really only one national figure who would be episode 59, and that's who – who was episode 58? Do you remember who episode 58 was? It was – was it Jack Lambert? Yes, and oh. who was his partner right next to him was on it, that Steelers not team? Not Jack Ham. Yes. It was, okay. So Jack Ham went to Penn State, I believe, was an All-American – and then a, an all-pro linebacker on that great defense right next to Jack Lambert. There was Jack Lambert and Jack Ham, 58 yeah. and 59. So we could go back-to-back, even though we sit in the Northwest, we could go back-to-back Steelers in naming episodes, but we're not. Wow. No, I have found a better 59. Better than Jack Ham. Better than Jack Ham. More, right. Much more appropriate than Jack Ham. Ask me who it's going to be. Who is number 59? You have to wait until the end. It's a surprise. Really? It's perfect. I think it's perfect. Okay, I can't wait. Perfect for episode 59, but you have to wait to the end when we ring the bell. It is not going to be episode Jack Ham. It is not going to be episode Ray Penny. It is not going to be episode Blair Bush. (laughs) It is not going to be episode Julian Peterson. I have kind of an off-the-map kind of alternative way of looking at 59. So somebody right right now listening to this, there's probably more than one person listening to this, that has figured it out. Somebody going, oh, oh, I know what he's going to do. I know what he's going to do. Definitely not me. I have no idea. Not yet. All right. But you will at the end. Okay. And with your approval, what yes. I'd like to do is I would like to begin with some thoughts about what happened in the Pacific Northwest last Thursday night. You know by now. I do, yes. And I was not there, but I Neither saw was I. a lot of highlights. And yeah, I got a little... And you're not a huge... Did you get a little bit clamped? Yeah, I got a little... I got a little... A little you more. don't get emotional over anything, well, I thought. Yeah, but I mean, seeing him get emotional, it was, yeah. you know... And that's nice, isn't it? It's great. Yeah. And the fact that he played for the it Mariners does, it, the it just time. It just wasn't that he came out... We're talking about Felix Hernandez. He came out and he tipped his cap and then he pitched and then he tipped his cap and went in. It was a lot more than that. Yeah. It was It was crying. It was tears. It was running out there after the game was over and posing in the King's Court. It was, it was the press conference. It was everything. And you know, people are a little bit 
conflicted, I would say, on how we how we view Felix Hernandez. You're you're much more of a football guy than a baseball guy. I would just say to you, when people ask, when I was on the BJ Shea show last week, I'm on on Mondays at seven fifteen, though I'm not on this Monday because of of the holiday, but my holiday. He asked me, would Felix Hernandez belong on the Mount Rushmore of the Seattle Mariners? Now, again, I'm I'm this is I'm, in, I'm risking something here. Do you know what Mount Rushmore is? Yeah, didn't Mozart create that? Mozart is on Mount. I think he's on. Oh, he's on. Of, okay. Yes, yeah. I again, we're outside wrong. of sports yeah. now, right, so right, yeah. I ask you. I hesitate to get to get in there because I don't even know that I know what Mount Rushmore is. But <laughs> if we did the Mount Rushmore of Mariners, three three faces would be absolutely obvious. Who would they be? Ken Griffey Jr. Correct. I'll ring the bell for you. Edgar Martinez. Absolutely correct. The big unit, Randy Johnson. No. Oh, Ichiro. Ichiro. Okay. And now we have a spot. Right. We have a spot for essentially Randy Johnson, who won one of his Cy Youngs. I think he ended up winning four or five. He won championships elsewhere. He had a great start to his career here in Seattle, but then had unbelievable amounts of success in Arizona, won world championships, went to the Hall of Fame. We've got him... And then we've got we've got Felix Hernandez, who pitched his entire career here. I don't think he was ever in his at his. I don't think he had the career. Clearly, did not have the career that Randy Johnson is one of the greatest left-handers, one of the greatest starting pitchers in the history of the sport. Felix Hernandez is an all-time great Mariner who's never going to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame, but he's going to have his number retired 34 yeah. by the Mariners someday. So you got to decide on the Mount Rushmore. Who are you putting up there? You're putting up there the all-time baseball great, but who only played a portion of his career here? Or are you putting on a guy who in his day, and Felix, and don't mistake, don't let what's happened in the last few seasons, don't let that confuse you to what, Felix at one point was he was the best the best right-handed starter in Major League Baseball the best young pitcher in Major League Baseball although he's not been very good lately do you put that guy in who's played his whole career here or do you put Randy Johnson who's the fourth face on Mount Rushmore that's a tough one that's a real tough one because Randy Johnson had he stayed his whole career it'd be a no-brainer he'd be the first maybe he he and Griffey would be the first yeah yeah that's a tough one. so what's your answer if I have to pick one yeah I'm probably going to go with the guy that played his whole career for the Mariners. Let me try to convince you that you've just made the right decision. Okay, I'm ready. I have so I've done this a, a number of times. So for the people who are who have heard this spiel before on the radio, I apologize. I used to do a radio show. Oh, I've never heard you on the radio, so this will be I great. I apologize to those people, but I feel like it's important now. I may never do this again. Uh, on how I feel about Felix Hernandez. And I'm not a you're a local Seattle through and through guy. I'm not. Yeah. But I feel a certain way about Felix Hernandez. Felix Hernandez is the M's record holder in just about all pitching categories. We know that. We know that they've had one perfect game in Mariners history, and it was thrown by Felix Hernandez. We know that Junior, Edgar, and Ichiro would be on. I'm going to tell you that I think it's clear to me that Felix Hernandez should be the fourth face on the Mariners' Mount Rushmore over, over Randy Johnson because of... An incredible, in fact, I'm going to call it an historic level of loyalty and commitment to a fan base, a community, and an organization. Just remember a few things about Felix Hernandez. Felix Hernandez, on a couple of different occasions, was lined up to be the biggest free agent in all of Major League Baseball. 
Yeah, I believe it. Okay. Yeah. He signed two major contracts with the Seattle Mariners. He signed in 2010, before he became a free agent for the first time, he signed a five-year contract. He then went out in 2010 and won the Cy Young. He was the best pitcher in the game when he signed a five-year contract and never reached free agency. Every great, 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 I'm talking about great baseball player, lives for free agency where he can just set up shop and he could be wooed by every single team, all the big market teams. And then if he wants to go back to his team, he can. Felix in 2010, before he became a free agent, said to the world through his actions, I want to stay. I want to pitch right here. He, He signed a deal. He signed his first contract at age 16. He made his debut for the Mariners organization at 16. He made his debut in the big leagues at 19. So he became, so you know how this works, there's service time before you become a free agent, and it starts based on when your birthday. So he was going to be a very, very young, right-handed, dominant pitcher free agent, and he said in 2010, nah, I like it here, I want to be here, I'll sign a five-year deal. He then goes out, he wins the Cy Young, and over the next three years, Hotshot, he is the best right-handed pitcher in the sport. And over those next three years, I'm talking about three years, 2010 to 2013, four years, and during those four years, the world wants him. The Yankees call Jack Zarensic and every GM the Mariners ever had over and over, what do we have to do to trade for Felix Hernandez? What do we have to do? The Red Sox want him. The Dodgers want him. They can't wait. And he's becoming, he's getting closer and closer in 2013 when he's the best pitcher in the game to that free agency again. And they're talking about $300 million over right. 10 years. That, they're yeah. talking about the high, the biggest number in the history of Major League Baseball. And he's getting closer and closer and closer. And what are the Mariners doing in each of those years as he waits for free agency, as he's dominant? What are the Mariners doing? Losing, yeah. losing, losing 80, losing 90, losing 100. He's not even sniffing the playoffs. What does every every professional athlete, what, what do they desire to do? Win a ring. Pitch in the postseason, yep. play in the postseason. What do what do athletes today when they're on when they're good athletes on bad teams yeah, in football? Right. What do they do today? They play one game and call their agents and say, "Get me the hell Get out of here!" Get me out of here! And yeah. they fo- they literally force their way. Yeah. And in 2013, a couple of years before, he could sign for 30, 31, a 300 million dollar deal with the A. He could go and play anywhere he wants. He could literally play anywhere he wants. Yep. He could say. Uh, so essentially, Felix Hernandez in 2015 it was when he was going to become a free agent. This is 13 now. I'm at 13. Okay. In 15, he was going to be able to pick his number and his place, which means he was going to be able to say, I want to play in the postseason uh, essentially every year for the remainder of my career. If I go to the Yankees, the Red Sox, I, I, I guarantee myself – probably a, a ring or two or three. At the very least, I'm going to pitch in the postseason over and over again. He's coming close to that at 2015. You know what he does in 13? He does it again. He says, you know what? All that stuff's overrated. I love Seattle. They signed me as a 16-year-old. I know nothing but Seattle. I know we've sucked, but I want to be a part of the turnaround. Yeah. I want to be a Seattle Mariner, and I don't care. And his agent is probably screaming at him, no, 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 no. Hold on, Felix. Right. Let's just become a free agent. Then we can still sign back with the Mariners if you love. But let, let me, let me, let's line them up. Let's, let's see. It. Let's let's see what's behind doors numbers two and three and four <laughs> right. and five. You've earned that. And you know what he said? He told. And there's a there's actually a, on record a call that he made to his agent 
in 2000. He said, your job is to get this done with the Mariners. I don't want to be a free agent. I have no interest in being a free agent. That's the guy that we're considering putting on Mount Rushmore. So so while they're losing and never even sniffing the playoffs, a couple times they sniffed but really didn't, all he cared about was pitching for the Seattle Mariners. So while Ken Griffey Jr. didn't like Safeco Field and pushed his way back to his hometown of Cincinnati, Felix Hernandez, all he wanted to do was pitch for the Mariners. While Randy Johnson pouted his way that first half of that season to get traded to Houston in the middle of the year, all Felix Hernandez has wanted to do was pitch for the lowly Seattle Mariners. While while Alex Rodriguez was chasing $252 million in Texas, which I would have done also, all Felix Hernandez wanted to do was play and pitch for the Seattle Mariners. And here we live in a day and age where players on losing teams in all of sports, good players on losing teams, all force their way out some way or another, not number 34. Not number 34. So as I see it, it's one one or the other. Either he redefined the word stupidity <laughs> because he just just never I mean he, he essentially ate a bunch of money or he left a bunch of money on the table I don't right? know that he, he he was paid very well he's paid top-notch okay. dollar by the Mariners I don't know that he left that much he left a little money on the table but he left the ability to go somewhere else and yeah. play and pitch in the postseason and win a ring so either he was stupid or as I see it he displayed Felix Hernandez displayed historic allegiance and loyalty, as I said, to a community, a fan base, and an organization. And that's why I always called him when I was on the radio my favorite Seattle athlete. Even more than Gary Payton, Junior, you name whoever, Edgar, you name it. I mean, Edgar did the same thing, but Edgar was never as as much of a Hall of Famer as he was. He was a DH. He was never He wasn't the best at his position. He was never Felix when right. Felix was in his that's prime. Right. Yeah. And for that, for all of those reasons, I think this is a no-brainer that Felix Hernandez should own a very special place in this sports community's heart and should be, if there ever was, a Mount Rushmore, should be the fourth face in Mount Rushmore. It's a little heartbreaking he never sniffed one playoff game, did he? Nope. Not, he didn't, not one playoff game. It's heartbreaking. Game. And by his Sad. choice. Right. Yeah. By his choice. I mean, he always, of course, he was always the the, the glass half full guy. Like, we're going to turn, turn around, this around, yeah. and I want to be a part of it when we turn it around. But, I mean, I, I can't say enough about that. And I think you, all you got to do is take a step back and look in the look at the sports world as we live in today and see how, how uncommon, how rare a guy like Felix Hernandez was that played and wanted to play in a losing city, essentially, his entire career. That's all he ever wanted to do. So is it a little strange that Griffey, uh, Edgar, Ichiro will be in the Hall of Fame, and then Felix won't be, so no. one of our Mount Rushmores won't even make the Hall of Fame. Is that a little strange? Well, it's sad. It's sad, and I'm go- you're going to hear my conversation with Corey Brock, who covers Felix and the Mariners for the Athletic. It's on this show, so I'll- I don't want to steal his thunder. Okay. But I'll give you my, my-, my quick, and we'll get to the Seahawks, I'll- my-, my quick thoughts on that, my quick two senses. Great starting pitchers who make the Hall of Fame because they are great for so many years. They can pitch 12, 15, 18 for the most part. Most of them run into a wall at some point in their career. Middle of their career. And maybe they're a, a, a 96 or a 97 mile an hour fastball thrower who gets becomes 30 or 31 or 32 and they lose velocity. Or The Hall of Fame greats, when they run into that wall, 
step back, kind of reinvent themselves, mm, do it in a different way, develop another pitch, come at it a different way, and then break through the wall and end up having four or five or six more good years because they were able to adjust to what life brought them. Like a different and style I, I don't want this. To, I just told you how much I, I feel for Felix Hernandez, so I don't want this to be a criticism. But I'm going to say what it's unfiltered, so I'll say it. Felix Hernandez is not going to be in the Hall of Fame because he wasn't able to do that. When he hit the wall and lost velocity and wasn't able to pitch the way he was able to pitch as a young 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, he wasn't able to reinvent himself. He wasn't able to rely on another pitch or approach batters differently or figure a way to get through the wall. Like Justin Verlander, you go back and look at Justin Verlander. There was a point after the Tigers run where he hit a wall and people were like, oh my God, there was like a year or two, a year, year and a half where Verlander was no good. And then he somehow figured it out, and yeah. now he's been great. The Hall of Famers get through the wall, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, it does. Do you think it was just a little bit of stubbornness on his part? Like, I used to blow people away. This is how I pitch. I think I, there's a little bit of that. Yeah. You're going to hear the conversation okay. with Corey Bryant. I don't want to – I don't want to – yes, I think it there was tough, a little though. of that. You're, of I mean, when you're 18, is. 19, 20, and you're blowing people away. And you do it for six, seven, eight, yeah. nine years, and then all of a sudden – Life tells you you can't do that anymore and you got to do it another way. It, you, you, maybe you're stubborn. Maybe, maybe you're just not willing to do it that way. Imagine being 19 or 20 and being called King. Like your nickname is King. King. And by the way, you lived up to it for a lot of years. Yes. I mean, that's a lot he of pressure great. to be called he King. Should, he, like should, he should be a three-time Cy Young Award winner. At least a two. He got robbed a couple of different times. I, I, won't that, even go, yeah. I won't even go into that. We did that a lot in the past. But that's the way I feel about Felix Hernandez. How do you feel about 27 to 10? Your beloved Seattle Seahawks. You feel good about that? Yeah, it never really felt like it, the game was in question, did it? Even when it was 20 to 10. How about before they, they started? Was the game in question? Before, <laughs> when I did Tale of the Tape, was the game, did it ever feel like the game was in question? It didn't. Tale of the Tape was accurate, by the way. I had that on my list. It was accurate. We nailed it, or you nailed it, right? No, I don't it's not. It's not me who nails it. It's the, it's the student. We played the game on paper, and we played that game on paper. What would you? I would call it workmanlike. I would call it efficient. I would call it a systematic. It was a systematic... I don't know, a systematic execution of the Cardinals. Yeah, I think that's fair. They went on the road. It's always tough to go on the road in the NFL, even if you have the whole place is yours, yeah. Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks fans treat it like a, an Airbnb. But they go can, in, they drink, they beat the place up, and they head home. But, I love but it. But we've learned a million times over that you can go on the road in the NFL, play a crap sandwich team, and lose. That's you true. Can. Yep. And they went in there, and they made very few mistakes. I don't know if it was their greatest performance, but – Chris and I have I have ten items for you. I have ten observations, ten random observation pearls of mediocrity or wisdom. Okay. from the Seahawks and Cardinals. I'll let you start though. Do you have something that that you probably will take one of them off my list? But that's okay. Well, I was gonna do. I, I'll I'll leave you to your your little man crush, Chris Carson. You you can have that one. You can have you that start one. Start right there. We can start right there. Chris Carson is a football player. Isn't he? Just he's a football. You want to compl- you want to complain? You're the guy who complains. He runs tall. He fumbles oh. the ball. Everybody's complaining. You want to start right there? 104 yards, 41 yards receiving, um, and he was he was tough. He was just what I think Chris Carson always always has been, and that is a tough, rugged, very good football player who's been under fire because he he has fumbled a few times in the last few games. Under fire, but not by his coach. His coach came out and defended him, which I think was a great move last right. week. Right, that's right. Yeah. But a lot of people have been wondering, is he one fumble away? Is he two fumbles away? Is he, is he about... And, and I've and I just been kind of scoffing at those things. Scoffing at those things. 
And I'll just say it this way. Yes, I do have a man crush on Chris Carson. I love the way he runs the football. I love the way he plays football. I love the way he catches the ball out of the backfield. I love how the first contact almost never brings him down. He's always good for three or four yards at least after the first contact. Sometimes he gets first downs he has no business getting. I'm going to say it to you this way. Here's the way I feel about fumbleitis and, and really good running backs. I think... Chris Carson, at the very least, is a really good running back. He might be a Pro Bowl, all pro-ish type of running back who has fumbled the ball this year. I'll ask it to you this way. If I told you right now, if you knew, if, if the good Lord came down right here in this room right now and told you that Chris Carson is going to fumble once a game, every game the rest of the season, He's going to break the all-time NFL record for most fumbles. <laughs> wow. He's going to fumble 19 times this, this season. He is going to fumble, and you knew that. He's going to fumble one time every game. So there's how many games left? There's, there's uh, 12 games left. He's good for at least 12 more fumbles. He may lose a game. You may lose a game because of Chris Carson. And I told you that. You knew that. He's going he's gonna to touch the ball 25 to 30 times between carries and receptions, right? So let's say it's 28. Today it was 28 times. Sorry, Sunday it was 28 times, right? Yeah. And I told you he's going to fumble one time every game the rest of the year. Now, is he fumbling and losing it or just fumbling and then the chips fall as to who recovers it? I'm tell- I can't tell. The good Lord's not willing to tell you everything. <laughs> okay. He's just willing to tell you or she's just willing to tell you that he's going to fumble every game for the rest of the year and break the all-time oh, record. All I'm, right. I'm trying to prove a point yeah. to you here. And I think you probably know where I'm going. What would you want them to do? Would you want them to sit him down and not play him? Well, no, of course not. Would you like them to use somebody else in his stead to, to try to not get that fumble? I mean, it, what, I'll even go one step further with you. What if I told you whoever you chose to replace him, Penny, Procise, a combination of the two, for goodness sakes, the kid, tra- uh, Travis Homer, whoever it is. What if I told you, if the good Lord told you, not only is, is Carson going to fumble once every game the rest of the year, break the all-time record, no other running back is going to fumble at all the rest of the year. I'll even give you that. My point, Scott, is in the other 27 touches, one fumble, 27 touches, 28 touches, right? He is three times better than anybody else you have on the team. And nobody can convince me that even if we knew he's going to fumble once a game, that they don't have a better chance of having a better record over the course of time with him having 27 carries or 27 touches the way he does, and the one fumble, then sitting him down and having Penny, or and, and this is no disrespect to Penny or Procise. I think Penny's coming on. Penny might be good. Yeah. I, I'm not I, I'm not down on Penny or Homer or Procise. I'm kind of down on Procise. My, my point is really about Chris Carson. How can you look me in the eye and tell me, okay, even if he fumbles once out of every 28 touches, that those other 27 touches doesn't give you a gr- the best chance to win every football game the way he runs the ball and catches the ball? It makes no sense that we're even having this discussion. That's what I'm trying to say. And the good news is he won't fumble every game, so we'll continue to, to, get a, to get a great Chris Carson. Of course not. He'll fumble yeah. three times every game. <laughs> That's no, right. No, of course not. But uh, you didn't. It, it was a kind of a hypothetical, but answer the question. Well, yeah, of course I would take would you that. Still, you have to, right? Even one fumble a game, the every game the rest of the year, you would still say, 
I'd, have I'd to. rather have him. Yeah. So then, why are we having this yeah. conversation last week about oh, he's one or two Silly. fumbles away yeah. from sitting him down in a wet game too, and one got punched? And it's hardly like a fumbling problem. But don't you love the way he plays when I he's not it. fumbling? I <laughs> yes, when he's not fumbling. I love the way he plays. But I've said before, I'm just a little nervous about the way he runs. He, I just hope he can make it all year. He runs so tough. Because he's he going to get hard. hurt or going to get – he's going to fumble. He's going to get – I don't want to say he's going to get hurt. He's just going to – he's going to be banged up. All right. What do you think of Kyler Murray? This is that was point one. Point one is already now in the, is now in the books. Oh boy! Yeah, point. I'll go. I'll go fast through the other two. What do you think of Kyler Murray? I think he's special. I think there's something there. I like it. Yep. I, I mean, like Kyler Murray. Did he look shorter than Russell Wilson substantially yep. out there? Mm. He just looked tiny. Well, to me. he's he's. Th- Either Russell's is likes to eat. I don't. I don't know. Russell's <laughs> Russell's got some muscle. Yeah, Russell's no kind of wide, and I think he also wears some pads and some protection. Yeah, the I think it, thing. he's a little rookie who came in. He's probably wearing no protection. So yes, I think he looks more diminutive, but he looks a lot faster. He looks a lot. He quicker. looks quick. That Lightning. touchdown run he had was lightning. Yeah. He can make you miss, too. Yeah. I, I think I, what I would get annoyed at being a Kyler Murray guy is it's just too much dink and dunk, and that might be because they don't have any receivers anymore. Like Larry Fitzgerald, for whatever he is, he's an older receiver. He's only a, a possession receiver now. They don't have it. They're not throwing the ball down the field. The Cardinals need to throw the ball down. the. Let the kid throw the ball down the field. Yeah. They may not have any receivers because I don't know the Cardinals that give him that chance, but it seems like it's a lot of – it was three a lot of and that, four yeah. and five yard things, but I like I lo- I'm buying stock in Kyler Murray. I'm with you. All right, Will Disley seven more catches is number three. He's a football player, Will Disley, big Montana kid out there. I heard an interesting stat that the first three games of the year for the Cardinals, they've given up 300 yards to the tight end and five touchdowns. Will's makes it six, so it's not surprising that he had a nice day. Isn't that kind of interesting? Well, it 300 was, yards to the tight end in three games. All three of them had. Big time games, big time games. So we knew that the tight end was a problem for the Cardinals. But Will Disley is, you know, he's be, is he not becoming like? Uh, is he the favorite target? Well, he let him in receptions outside of today. Tyler Lockett. At when he let him in receptions on Sunday. Uh, yes, when he they sure played. did. Will Disley seven more catches and another touchdown, making fantasy football league owners thrilled around the around the nation. That's number three. Number four. Uh, is Jadavion Clowney a pretty good athlete for a man his size, would you say? <laughs> I'd say he's a better athlete than football player. He is a great athlete, and he's a good football how'd player. He look when he, how'd he look when he got his arms, when he got his hands on that football? Being an ex-offensive Is he coach, running like a 4'5", 4, 4'6", 4, yeah. I mean, he looks like he can really yeah, run. But, I mean, he's not heavy. He's not fat. I mean, he's, you know, he can run. I've always said as an offensive coach, the only reason guys play defense is because they can't catch. I think he could catch. That was a he nice He could probably do anything you want yeah, him right. to do. So he makes that play. Uh, L.J. Collier makes a nice play, like on a screen pass, I think half. it was, uh, at some point to, yeah. to, to run down. A, 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 his best play is a Seahawk. And then on the last play of the game, did you see the last play of the game? Ziggy yeah, Ansah Ziggy. comes up with a sack on the last play of the game. So all three of those guys finally make a play within the same game. And that's numbers four, five, and six. Number six on my list is the question. And maybe it's unfair for me to continue to ask it. It's too early because, because there, it's still early in the year and Clowney didn't have training camp and Ansa didn't have training camp and has been hurt and Collier didn't really have training camp and he's new. Maybe I shouldn't even be asking number six, but I'll ask it. Yeah, Clowney was great on that play and yeah, Ansa came up with the sack and yeah, LJ Collier had his first distinguishable moment for the Seahawks. Are we getting enough consistent productivity from those three guys during the course of the game or are they... Are they disappearing 
for series and series at a time. It does feel like they're disappearing. I want with more. You. Yeah. More. I want, I'm not as much about the marquee moments that we saw. I, I'd like to see some more penetration, just some more disruption on a continual basis. Yeah. At least from the two veterans, Ansa and Clowney. Collier, I really have very little expectations for this year. Anyway, did I say Clowney? I don't mean that. Collier, I I have very little expectations. But I'd like to see like Ansa played a lot on Sunday. I saw him dropping into coverage a lot. I don't know if you noticed that they run these they run these maybe their zone blitzes or something where the defensive end looks like he's going to rush and then Ansa drops. I saw him do that three, four, five times. I don't really I don't think they signed Ziggy Ansa to be dropping right. into. Into, into coverage, but, you know, Clowney kind of goes away and Ansa is still not getting started. I'm still, I guess we're one one game closer to week seven right. when we get everybody, including Jaron Reed. Oh, right? we're waiting for that that Christmas morning with yeah. Jaron Reed coming That was back. number six on my list. Number seven on my list is what's going on with DK Metcalf? Did you see the tweet somebody sent you and I? No. They asked. I know I tweeted, I know I sent a tweet out. Somebody asked you and I if, it looks like Metcalf doesn't quite know how to use his size to get open. And I don't think that's an unfair criticism. You don't see him really battling or boxing guys out. You know, it just doesn't feel like he quite knows how to use. Now, he's not 6'8". He's 6'3". He's not, he's not the biggest receiver in the world. Yeah. But he is very strong, and it doesn't look like he quite knows how to leverage that strength to get open. That's a little bit too um, analytical for me because I never played wide receiver, and, and I don't know that I'm, I'm comfortable looking at his technique and saying he's not using his body. Uh, I'm more asking from a practical standpoint. Here's what I did see on Sunday. DK Metcalf on the sidelines a lot, standing with his helmet. Not only standing with his helmet, but I saw at least two or three or four, three and four wide receiver sets in the game and him not in the game. I'm wondering, and he doesn't, he's not unhealthy. I'm wondering whether. There's been some growing pains, whether the offensive staff is entirely happy with him or uh, I can't. If you would have said to me three weeks ago, Scott, there's going to be in the fourth week of the season after the the, the start that he got off to. Yeah. There's going to be three and four wide receiver sets where we see Malik Turner and we see Jerron Brown and we see Tyler Lockett and we see um, I'm forgetting somebody, somebody else. And DK Metcalf isn't in there in a four wide receiver set. I would have said that's. There's no way that's happening. And he's healthy. There's no So I'm wondering, I'm just going to wonder aloud here, and I think we should all watch what's going on. He caught a couple of balls on Sunday, but did, was on the sidelines a lot with, with multiple wide receiver sets in there. Russell did target him in the end zone three times. Did he? So Russell tried. Yeah. He threw it three times to him in the end zone. He just couldn't get open. I mean, I don't know. Okay. If, so he, he did at least target. And maybe they just said, let's let's try somebody else. DK just isn't getting open today. Okay. Three times he targeted him in the All end right, zone. That's my number seven. My number, my number seven is let's watch and see whether, whether there's something going on with DK Metcalf and his learning curve and, and what's going on with the Seahawks. I'm glad he changed the stupid pacifier. Did he change mouth. it this week? Yes, Because last week he had it. Last week he had it. He did not have it this week. God, looks so silly. Big 6'4 guy that. running around with the pacifier. All right, number, uh, eight, number eight is... Um, I have a request. Okay. There's a lot of things that, that football teams, basketball teams, baseball teams, your favorite college teams do that annoy you, right? And there's, th- there's, there's a lot of things that annoy us, and we always say it'd be easier to be a fan of the ballet. I'm going to request that the Seahawks not do something that they did on Sunday ever again. And if they do it, if they do it again, I may have to go over there and cause a problem. I can't even think about what that would be. 
after the Cardinals scored their one and only touchdown late in the game, yeah. do you remember the touchdown? Kyler sure, Murray yeah. on, a, on, a, on a quarterback draw. They then kicked an extra point. They went to a long commercial set. They kicked off to the Seahawks. The Seahawks offense hadn't been on the field in forever because the Cardinals had just had a drive and a TV timeout. And what did they do on the first play? Delay of game on the oh, first play. Yeah, that's right. Right. Delay of game <laughs> on the first play after a TV timeout, right. after a long drive and a touchdown. You go out there and you and the clock goes to are you okay. Is that the one where Russell's going? Where he's well, like he realized hands like crazy to well, get him to snap Well, yeah, because – and I don't want to take Russell off the hook here. Yeah. yeah, he's doing that once he realizes there's three seconds left on the play clock. Right. How much time does one How, need to I, get a play together? You had 25 minutes. <laughs> You've been over there for an hour. Right. We have watched Jeffrey Osborne sing the song <laughs> right. four times. I know. And you can't get up there and get to the line and, 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 and snap a play? That You're going to get, get. it uh, I Okay, I can accept delay of games. Delay of games are part of the football. Please – no more delay games on the first play after a TV timeout and a long drive by the opposing team. Okay, that's just ridiculous. Right. Okay, that's like everybody's asleep. That's ridiculous. It's one thing if, if Russell saw some coverage he didn't like. Just call a timeout then. That would make more sense to us. To take the delay is silly. That's number eight. I'm done with number eight. Number nine, and I'm assuming we're not going to see another one for the. I feel like a father here. Don't do this again. Right. You do this again, Seahawks. You and I are going to have a. We don't, have to have a chat. Don't throw the golf clubs in the water. The Wilson to Wilson connection on that him. third down play. Wilson, Russell Wilson falling down, getting hammered. Yes. Drifts, throws a little ball up there, and then Luke Wilson with two L's goes goes Loved perpendicular. It. Makes it. They didn't even need it because there was a five yard automatic first down penalty <laughs> on third down anyway. But how about that little play? I mean, Loved I just it. thought I I put it on the on the notes. Yeah, I put it on the. It was a third and two. Third and two. Great. So nice to have Luke Wilson back, isn't it? I mean, we yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, I mean, that was a nice little catch. I mean, yeah, can, I don't I don't know I don't know how how intricate a part he's going to play in in what they're doing. Am I just nostalgic for like the yeah, good old like days? Yeah, you like Luke Will. I, we all like Luke Wilson. He's the got a lot of personality the, yeah. and Tecmo Tuesdays or Thursdays or whatever they call it. But at least Russell knows he can trust him. It's nice to have another target that he's familiar with and that yeah. he can trust. Clearly yeah. DK Metcalf That was just a nice trust. sweet little play. That was very backyard. One, one guy, yeah, one guy just getting just smoked as he tosses it and the other guy going perpendicular to the ground. And then number 10 uh is just look at the next 3 weeks. Please look at the next three weeks. The Seahawks are three and one right now. Have a Thursday night game against the Rams. Could go either way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the Rams are favored. Okay. Uh, the following week, they go to Cleveland on the road at Cleveland, mm -hmm. who on Sunday blasted the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. Uh, yeah, you could win the game. Could it go either way? For sure. And then they come back against a good Ravens team. Earl Thomas has returned to. Uh, could it go either way? Yes. Okay. You're three and one. And we have no. This is why we love football, not the ballet. We have no. We have no idea. We have no. idea. These next three games, Rams, they could go zero and three like this. They could go zero and three in those. They'll go three. Now, and now, now, some people would say, "No, Mitch, they're not going to lose to the Ravens here." But they lost to the Saints here with a backup quarterback. This is like the NFL, right? These next three games are the NFL. Rams here, as you say, underdogs. I think it's close to pick them. Yeah. Browns on the road. They'll either be close to pick them. They might. I mean, who knows? Ravens here, you're three and one. You could be three and four. You could be six and one. You could win all three. You could be five and two. Who know? These next three weeks is like is like a reality television show. Three and four is going to make me want to join the ballet or buy season tickets to the ballet. If if, if they go three and four after going three and one, that's going to hurt. I'd rather you buy tickets than join the <laughs> ballet. 
they have tutus in my size. Well, I'm looking at you, and I don't know that I'm paying much money to come see you. I'm very fleet of foot uh, in the ballet. So we've got uh, we've got some great guests, four great guests on episode 59, and I've got a we've got the Huskies, we've got the Cougars, we've got some funny stuff from Mike Leach. I got some funny other stuff. We got some topics. I got some stuff. I you got, got some bagel stuff. guy update. Are we back with the bagel guy? He's on here more than Antonio Brown. I, at this point, I feel I have to tell the listeners because they're invested like I am. We was have, the fight? Did the fight happen? Well, see, now you're interested. <laughs> Don't tell me the fight was, got canceled again. The fight was this past weekend, was scheduled for this past weekend. Was scheduled. Was scheduled for this past weekend. It didn't happen. I'm going to give you an update. Okay. Four good guests, and then Scott and I have a long laundry list of fun stuff in our final segment. And you'll find out, by the way, who this episode 59, what do I have up my sleeve? I got something up my sleeve. I'm ready to see it. I got something up my sleeve. Hotshot, the Seahawks and 49ers play Monday night football on November the 11th, 11-11, and we've just decided to do a very special viewing party at the brand new Daniels location in the downtown Hyatt Regency. Details to follow soon, but circle it on your calendar. We want everybody to come out and join us and root the Seahawks on as they go up against Richard Sherman and the 49ers on November the 11th. Here's an event before November the 11th on October the 5th at Daniels Bellevue. It's called Single Malt Saturday. It's the fourth annual Single Malt Saturday at Daniels Bellevue at 5 p.m., the largest collection of single malts on the West Coast. Your paid admission includes a tasting guide and commemorative tasting glass. You can combine all these world-class single malts with a heavy selection of gourmet appetizers, including a beef carving station, bourbon barbecue sliders, bourbon meatballs, smoked salmon platters, and on and on. For tickets, go to danielsbroiler.com. Click on events under Daniels Bellevue. It's a world-class whiskey and scotch event that will sell out. Make your reservations today. The fourth annual Single Malt Saturday, October the 5th, 5 p.m., Daniels Bellevue, a world-class whiskey and scotch event from Daniels Bellevue. Unfiltered. Second down and five, and the screen pass is going to be picked off by Jadevion Clowney, and he's going to run it in for the touchdown. Wilson's pass caught for the touchdown. Will Disley, the tight end, does it again. Here comes Murray, and Murray is going to go down to end the game. Seattle comes back and avenges the defeat last week, but the big test will be Thursday night. We really played well right from the beginning of the game and, and had the energy. We got the big play for Jadavian, uh, which was huge for us, of course. But uh, we felt like we could move the ball, and we felt like we were, we were controlling what was going on the other side. Good ball game. Happy about it. Uh, really excited to be able to get on the road. And here we go Thursday night, and, and we'll be all cranked up for that, too. It was obviously a very good day on Sunday for the Seahawks in Glendale, Arizona, and they needed it after what happened a week earlier against the Saints. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks insider. It's brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions, who reminds you that football season is fireplace season, and there's no better place to uh, look at a new fireplace and change the look of your home than Fireside Home Solutions at Solutions. 
Com. Uh, Brady, a workmanlike effort. I don't know that you gain a lot or that you understand a lot or that you take a lot from a game against a, an inferior opponent like the Cardinals, but hey, the Seahawks went in on Sunday on the road, ran the ball well, threw the ball well, defended for the most part pretty well, and came out with a victory, right? Yeah, and I'm with you. I don't know if, if there's going to be a ton that you're going to learn about maybe how good the Seahawks are when you're playing a winless team with um, you know, all the newness there with the rookie quarterback, rookie head coach. Um, but, but that's it. You know, that newness does present a challenge. And, and Kyler Murray, just being the, the playmaker that he is, does present a challenge. And, um, you know, they handled that about as well as you could have expected them to uh, Sunday. And, you know, just um, really there was not a whole lot to dislike, maybe other than, um, you know, David Johnson kind of had a, a big game out of the backfield with, with some catches. But, you know, I, I do think that that's, maybe what you're going to be looking at when, when you play the style of defense that they play, where they're trying to keep everything in front, playing a lot of uh, base defense and less nickel. So um, really not a ton to dislike like there was in those first three games, whether it was, you know, all the penalties uh, only had, you know, didn't have a single penalty in the first half. The second half kind of got a little sloppy there, but um, none in the first half is a good sign. No Chris Carson fumbles. We all know how big of a story that was last week. Um, so really just, uh, you know, kind of a game that they needed to have, I think. Everybody made a big deal all week about Chris Carson, and I was very clear on how I have felt all along, even in our first segment of this episode 59. I think a lot of that's been overblown. Of course, Penny was not available again on Sunday. He was he was a scratch. Carson goes out and does what Carson does, 104 tough yards. He catches the ball out of the backfield. He never goes down in the initial content, always gains another three, four, five yards, gets first downs, and didn't fumble this time around. Uh, again, I find myself asking you the same question. I'll ask it to you again. Do, do you feel like uh, the coaching staff, if Penny were healthy, were really contemplating reducing the workload for Carson because of the fumbles? Yeah, I, I do kind of wonder about that, but I don't think that it was going to be a, a real significant thing. It, it wasn't going to be like Chris Carson was no longer going to be the starter. Um, you know, it, it's just you, you hear it's so clear in, in listening to Pete Carroll over the last week, um, just how highly he thinks of Chris Carson. And, um, you know, he, he, he did not talk about other running backs who fumbled uh, the way that he talked last week about Chris Carson, which was in nothing but supportive terms. Um, and just talking about how much he believes in them and even saying that, um, and maybe this is true, but even saying that, you know, it, it wasn't those plays that he fumbled on. It was really partly just good plays by the defense, uh, maybe as much as it was a function of him, you know, not taking care of the football the way he needed to. So um, you really saw the affinity that he has for Carson last week. And you heard it again post game when he said that really his favorite part of the game uh, was just how well Carson played uh, with, you know, I think it was 145 combined yards. And, and really Carroll made the point that it wasn't just the, the number of yards that he got, uh, but the way that he got those, like you mentioned, just really running tough, and uh, that, that's just the style that Pete Carroll wants to have for that offense. As we reflect upon the 27-10 victory for the Seahawks over the Cardinals and we talk offensive football, there's a couple of other questions and other subjects I think you and I should talk about, Brady. Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com. Let, let's begin with the offensive line and talk about their performance on Sunday. I thought it was very, very solid for the most part, kept Russell Wilson clean. He held the ball a couple of times, uh, a long time, and set up some really good opportunities for for Carson in the run game. It, it may have been the best performance from beginning to end of the offensive line this season. 
I would agree with that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was, um, I think one play where Dwayne Brown got beat off he the did. edge by, by Terrell Suggs. Yep. Um, but aside from that, you, I, I really can't think of, uh, and I'd have to go back and watch it, but I, I really can't think of anything that stands out that was just, um, you know, one of those really disastrous breakdowns that they've seemed to be prone to. Um, so that was a good sign for them. And obviously you look at, at the rushing numbers too, being indicative of that. And, um, you know, I think Russell made a, an interesting point about that, that I've never really heard him make, but it's, it's, sort of an obvious point when you think about it that, you know, sometimes sacks aren't the worst thing in the world. And that's probably, um, you know, you always have to, to, to keep in mind whenever you're looking at sack numbers, especially against the Seahawks, um, you know, how much of a role the quarterback plays in that. And, and there have been times where, you know, he has held on to the ball, but the point that he was making is, you know, holding on to the ball and taking a sack. Sometimes that's not, sometimes that is not as bad as the alternative, which is, you know, maybe try to force a ball into traffic or something like that. So, um, but but today you just didn't really see either of that. You didn't see him have to do that. You didn't see him taking a ton of sacks. So I agree with you. The best day for that offensive line so far this year. I guess we'll wait until we see the official snap totals. But I have to ask you about DK Metcalf, who was targeted on Sunday four times, only caught one ball for six yards. And there were some shots on TV, some cutaways of him standing on the sideline healthy and standing on the sideline while there were three, and I, I even think maybe once or twice, four receivers in the game, but none named DK Metcalf. What are we to think about that? Is he going through some growing pains? Is the coaching staff doing something with him uh, in this, the fourth week of the season already, Brady? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I would have to look into that, and, and I, I agree with you there. The snap counts are going to be are, are going to be sort of telling there. Um, you did see, I think, you know, a couple times early, Wilson went to him in, in, in the end zone, so um, they're in the red zone. So that's a good sign that, you know, you have enough faith in a rookie to go to him like that. But, but there have, there have been a, a number of, you know, plays where they just haven't been able to connect on this season for whatever reason. Um, and there's any number of reasons why that could be, but, you know, is, is, as good as he has looked um, over those, you know, first three games, you would like to see the, the number of catches be closer to the overall number of targets. Cause there's a lot of plays where for whatever reason, they haven't been able to connect on, um, I thought it was a good sign that Jerron Brown seemed to, to yeah. kind of catch fire a little, briefly yeah. um, in the first half. We've all sort of been, um, you know, waiting for that to happen just based on how highly the, the Seahawks coaches talked about him this offseason. I mean, look, he's in his, what, seventh year now. He's 28 years old. He, he's not going to have a breakout season. So I think anybody who was expecting that uh, was probably expecting way too much. But uh, I think you saw today that he can be a – functional part of that passing game and then there's will disley who i it feels like you and i talk about every week at this time Uh, another eight targets another seven catches a touchdown now we should point out that the cardinals had had almost historic problems with the tight end the first three weeks of the season so the seahawks knew that they could get the tight end going because tight ends have had a field day against them but at some point we're going to stop talking about disley as a novelty act and start wondering whether he's just going to be maybe the second favorite receiver, the second favorite pass catcher of Russell Wilson this year, maybe behind Tyler Lockett. He just keeps, he, he seems very comfortable going to him, especially in that quick passing game up the middle. Just It's sort of like one week after another, you sort of expect that, that run to, to stop. And uh, it just keeps going four touchdowns in, in four games so far. Um, I'll give you a little stat from our, our stats department at ESPN. So that's six touchdowns in his first eight games. That is tied for the most, um, since the AFL NFL merger by a tight end for the most in his in his first eight games wow. with six, so there's three other tight ends who have done that. Wow! Um, 
So that that's a, a you know that's a remarkable start for any tight end. But then you consider you know the a the fact that he was considered you know a blocking specialist coming out of UW. Uh, in fact, I know there was even people in the UW program who were um, surprised that the Seahawks were as high on him before the draft as they were. Uh, just because really was not a, a big receiving threat. You know, obviously a converted defensive lineman. I think he only had 25 catches over his final two seasons. Uh, and then there's the fact that he had a, what for a lot of players is a devastating knee injury um, last year, almost exactly a year ago Sunday in that same stadium. And in fact, he um, you know, was talking after the game about how that was on his mind just because it was the almost the one-year anniversary in the same building. Um, you know, he said during pregame warmups, he, he ran the same flat route um, at the, in the same part of the field, caught it and turned up field uh, and ran. And he said, you know what, my knee's okay. And so that was sort of a mental hurdle that he, that he had to get over. Yeah. And before we flip it around to defense, uh, here's something for you as, as mediocre, let's say mediocre as the running game has been for the Seahawks in the first four weeks, aggregate wise, this is the fourth game where somebody different ran it in for a touchdown. And I like to joke around, we get we get tacos. We get free tacos from Taco Time uh, on Tuesday every time there's a running touchdown. And I just expected to get free tacos because of Chris Carson all year. Little did I know that it would be Chris Carson in week one for a free taco. Then it would be Penny in week two, Russell Wilson twice in week three, and now we get one from C.J. Procise. Does that mean that, uh, that Travis Homer is good for one on Thursday night against the Rams for a free taco? This is uh, – uh, pretty pretty interesting The four different Seahawks have run it in for touchdowns in the first four weeks. Yeah, it's looking like that. And I, I would have to go back uh, in my notes. I can't remember in my journalism ethics class at Western Washington University what, what the official rule is on accepting free tacos. So I may have to just <laughs> donate my – Donate my taco to someone in need of a taco. Okay, uh, but yeah, you know, I, on that on that CJ Procise touchdown run, uh, he looked like he was shot out of a cannon, and he looked like a guy who was determined at all costs uh, to get in the end zone. And um, you can understand why, given you know the, the all the lengthy injury history that everybody uh, listening knows about. Um, and uh, you know, but look, I think I made the point before training camp when you asked me. Um, you know, who might fill that third down role? I said, I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was, you know, anybody who's listening to this and, and drinking their coffee is going to spit this out, spit their coffee out when they hear me say that the Seahawks are still, believe it or not, excited and hopeful for CJ Procise. And, um, you know, occasionally you, you do see why. And Sunday was one of those times. Did Jadavion Clownley look a little bit like an athlete? on that interception and return for a touchdown. He looked like he could play a little hoop. He probably looked like he could play lacrosse. Anything he wants to play, Jadavian Clowney could play, right? I think I wrote in, in my post-game file that, you know, anybody who has not watched a ton of him and wondering why he went number one overall in 2014, well, that play is a pretty good example. Um, you know, there was everything you want to see in a football player on that play. The instincts, uh, you know, reading the screen, the uh, you know the ability to haul it in with one hand, then the, the sort of agility to turn up field and the speed to, to run 27 yards in the end zone. That was just a just a stud football play. And really, the the first big play. I know he had a sack in that first game. Really, sort of had a quiet two games in between there, as did you know some of those other guys on the defensive line. So um, you know that that's a good sign. I think that that maybe he's he's you know finding his groove. I asked him afterwards if he's starting to feel physically like he normally would at this point, had he had a normal off season where, you know, as opposed to really being on his own and and not playing in the preseason training camp, whatever. Um, And he said, yeah, he said this week, he started to feel like, 
like he normally would. So um, that's a good sign for them. And you also saw Ziggy Anson. I know he, he didn't have a sack until uh, – or, or his sack came on the final play of the game, but he was active throughout the game. I remember you know, on one of the David Johnson yes, – uh, he came One back. of those long catches. Like, yeah. yeah, 28 yards down the field, Ziggy yeah. Anson chases that play down and, and makes the play down the field. So right. um, probably a better day than even his stat line would suggest. Well, I'm just – I'm not a big fan. I know that the Seahawks do it. We talked about it in our last segment here on 59, Brady, and maybe you'll look into it during the week. But they run these zone blitzes and these schemes where sometimes the defensive end drops back. And I saw Ziggy Ansah on two or three different occasions drop – looked like he was going to rush the passer on a passing situation and then drop into coverage – and I was like, we didn't get him for that. <laughs> we, <laughs> I, I really don't need to see Mr. Mr. Z, uh, you know, falling into pass coverage uh, on a passing situation. I want him to pin his ears back and go after the quarterback. But they do that on occasion. Uh, he did play a much better game, much more impactful game than he did a week ago. Clowney seems to be coming along. but my po- and, and then there's, you know, Collier had a nice play on a David Johnson draw play, yep. right? He dove and made a, a nice tackle by his feet. So, so, so some plays are being made now by those guys. I still would say to you, I don't think they're giving them enough. Those three guys are giving them enough consistent play series to series than maybe what we had hoped for at the beginning. And maybe that's still yet to come. Yeah, you know, I think that you know, you when you when you hear a name like Ziggy Anser, Devian Clowney, you just expect those guys to be game wreckers every game. And and really, I think it the reality of it is sometimes the pass rush can run hot and cold, whether it's the the pass rush as a whole uh, or individuals for whatever reason. And you know, maybe part of that is kind of what we just talked about with, with Clowney. How um, you know he really did not have a, a much of an off season, and Ziggy Anser even had less of an off season just because he was. Uh, you know, coming back from that shoulder injury. So, um, you know, I think that, that the production they haven't gotten from Collier, I think that, you know, Quentin Jefferson has done a nice job of making up for that. I think that he has been, um, you know, maybe over the first three games at least, he was their best defensive lineman, which was not something that um, you would have thought that you would say when, when they added Clowney after adding Anta. So um, I, I think that, you know, that it's still – um, it's still a pretty exciting group with a lot of potential. Yeah. Um, and maybe when, when, um, when Collier starts to round into form, maybe he could add something to that. You know, um, I think that you are going to see him act as long as they have eight defensive linemen uh, on their roster. I think you're going to see him be active uh, as opposed to being a healthy scratch like he was before. A right. couple last items for Brady Henderson brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. New fireplace this football season. Check them out, firesidehomesolutions.com with six showrooms from Bellevue all the way down to Portland. Check them out and see if you might be able to revolutionize your home. A couple of last things for you before we uh, we end here. Linebacker play. You know, it's so good for the Seahawks. The the first three are so good that sometimes we just kind of take them for granted and we don't talk about them week for week. You had uh, Michael Kendricks with two sacks. They all were active. KJ's playing good ball. Bobby Wagner's obviously playing good ball. That linebacker, that starting three, those starting three linebackers have to be as good as just about anybody in the NFL, any team has in the NFL. Yeah, and, and I think you're seeing exactly how high the Seahawks think of those three guys just with the, the amount of base defense that they're playing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested to look back in our database, which, you know, tracks that stuff in terms of how many snaps a team plays 
in its base defense, meaning with all three linebackers on the field. Because um, I know, we, I think after the second game, they had the most snaps out of their base defense, and, and they really haven't shifted from that. And that was even you know something I was wondering going into this week is, can you do that? I mean, you, they did it over the first three games, but can you stay in that defense against an offense like that that likes to spread you know receivers around, has a ton of receivers on the field at the same time? Yeah. Um, and I even asked KJ Wright that, and he said, yeah. And I thought he was maybe just saying, Maybe that was wishful thinking on his part, but it was not. Um, you know, I'm interested again to see the snap counts, just because that seemed like another, um, you know, another base-heavy defense, and um, it's just it's not something that you expect to see when you see Michael Kendricks basically out like a nickelback covering uh, a wide receiver. But um, he's been doing it, and he he had a, you know you mentioned the two sacks. He also almost had a third there today. So. Um, their linebackers, I think, have, have been the star of that show on defense so Br- far. For Br- sure. Brady, what is Tedrick Thompson supposed to do on that play? Is he supposed to not hit and let the receiver essentially catch the ball? Yeah, it, it almost seems anymore like any hard hit is, is going to get flagged. Any hit where you know uh, where um, you know just it, it's a big collision, no matter what, is going to get hit because um, it just did not seem like you know that was such a bang bang play that even you know Carol mentioned this afterwards that. You know, Tedrick Thompson does not have nearly enough time to realize in that situation, in that moment, whether or not the receiver catches the ball. Um, so, and I don't know exactly what the wording of the penalty was. I think it was just a, a hit on a defenseless receiver um, or whatever it was. But that just seemed like a good football play to me. But it also, it, it's again, it's to the point where it seems like any hard hit, no matter what the circumstances are, um, is going to get flagged. Any thought on Marquise Blair being a a healthy scratch in week four. I asked you the same question about uh, LJ Collier a week ago. That, that's an interesting one, uh, just because he has been a, a pretty big player for them on special teams so far. Um, and the other safety that they just promoted was also inactive. And Blair, from what I understand, he was not on the, on the injury report last week. So we presume that to be um, a healthy scratch. And my, my only guess, uh, without you know hearing what Pete Carroll has to say about it, is just that he is sort of in the same boat as Collier as a guy who – you know, a young player, a rookie, really could have benefited from all the time that he missed uh, over the, the spring and summer. I think it was the hamstring injury at first um, and then the back injury. So um, that's my only guess, just because you've seen them, you know, you've seen them kind of switch switch out their safeties a little bit. And, and if you would, you know, if, if, if anybody was to tell you that, you know, one of their starting safeties uh, would go down and miss, I think, two games with a hamstring injury, you would have assumed that the rookie second-round pick would be the first guy in line. Uh, but that has not been the case. Are they going to beat the Rams on Thursday night? Quick turnaround. Brady, stick your neck out. Yay or nay on that? I will say yay. Yay. Really? Just because based on based on what we've seen, we saw we saw the, the Rams give up, what, 50, 45, 50 points to a, a Tampa Bay team. 55. 55, yeah. yeah. At home, uh, you saw Jared Goff throw. I, I didn't watch the game, but just sort of reading the, the updates as they were happening. Um, and what did he have? Two interceptions. Yeah, so, did not um, yeah, yeah. So just based on what we've seen, again, you know, it's not like you think the Seahawks are going to the Super Bowl because they beat Arizona. Um, but uh, a home game on a Thursday night, you know, those, those quick turnarounds typically benefit the the home team for obvious reasons there. So, yeah, I'm gonna. I'll say I'll pick the Seahawks to win that game. I hope you're gonna block Aaron Donald. If, uh, <laughs> if somebody's got to block Aaron Donald, if the Seahawks can have a chance to win on Thursday. Uh, Let's hope it's a better result than the last time the Rams came in here. Brady Henderson, read all of his work. Uh, Listen to him. Read him. Read him on Twitter. Read him on ESPN.com. Does a fabulous job 
covering the Seahawks, all the ins and outs, and it's going to be very important to follow him on Twitter as we count the days till the very quick Thursday night game, and a huge one it is now with both teams 3-1 and one against the Rams. Brady Henderson on the heels of a 27-10 victory for the Seahawks over the Cardinals. Thank you, Brady. All right, you bet, Mitch. Talk to you later. Thank you. All right, Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, and Mitch Unfiltered, Seahawks insider on the Cardinals and the Seahawks in Glendale and the look ahead. Here come the Rams on Thursday night football. Wow, big game. Jordan Flowers and his Kirkland office team of Guild Mortgage waiting for your phone call to help save you money. You hesitated, right, over the last couple of months on some level? And you lost because rates have inched up. But in the high threes or low fours, you can still do a 30-year fix with lower numbers than a year ago right now. In fact, lower numbers up until about June. So stop procrastinating and paying more each month. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage will do a deal that keeps you right where you are now. You're not going to start over the 30-year process. A refinance gets you out of your mortgage insurance which is costly, and also pull some money out to do some of those home improvements or remodels that you've been long desiring. There's only one thing that you should not be doing, and that's just sitting there unwilling to, at the very least, make a 10-minute phone call to find out your options. There are three of the nation's top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office alone. Phone number 425-250-CAM-CHANCELLOR-KJ-WRIGHT. 425-250-3150. The worst thing that can happen is after 10 minutes, you find out that you can't do better than you're doing now. The flip side is, and I'll bet this is the majority, you can pay less each month with a refi of your home that doesn't start you all over again. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. 425-250-3150. Uh, I'm going to go with Utah just because of the relentless pass rush. I think it's going to be a whale of a game, but I'm going to go with the, the mighty must, the mighty Utah student section getting uh, Utah over the tape and the, and the Utes getting the victory. From the three. It's kept by Huntley, makes the cut back into the end zone. Touchdown. What a beautiful cut by Tyler Huntley. And that should do it. I believe that will do it. A 38-13 victory by the Utes. They snap a four-game losing streak against the Washington State Cougars. All right, let's talk about the world of college football. It's presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Go to their website, firesidehomesolutions.com, and contemplate either a new or change out your fireplace from Fireside Home Solutions and firesidehomesolutions.com. Here's Rick Neuheisel on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. I guess the, the big news over the weekend in college football, I guess, Rick, is Clemson's near, near miss against uh, North Carolina, and I guess subsequently Alabama jumped over them in the polls. Does anybody care about that stuff? I don't think it matters much right now. Uh, and having watched both Alabama and Clemson, uh, certainly they're going to be probably in the number when we're, continue- when we're uh, looking at the Final Four. But I think both of them have been surpassed by the play of Oklahoma and Ohio State. I think those are the teams that are playing the best so far. Uh, maybe uh, there's reason to say they haven't been challenged, but uh, I would say you could probably look at the schedules of uh, Alabama and Clemson as well. I, maybe with the exception of the Texas A&M game, but uh, 
uh, for Clemson. But I, I think Ohio State and Oklahoma are the best two teams, at least as my eye looks at it today. And you don't have any problem with Mac Brown going for two to win the game or try to take the lead there with a minute and a half to go when you're such a big hundred underdog against Clemson, right? That's the right call there. I think it. I think it's easy to do that, but given that the game was 14-14 and you're having a pretty good time uh, stopping them, I, I I would have maybe second-guessed that idea. Really? Uh, get that. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, especially given the play that was run. Uh, if that's if if that if I thought that was going to be the play, because the the likelihood is when you're getting a two point play from the three yard line. Remember now, college football two point plays run from the three. The NFL runs from the two, which means you're probably going to get some form of zone, which is what we call a goal line seven. That play is going to ha- have all sorts of contained defenders thrown about the goal line. It, that I I I think I would have I'd have kicked it. But I totally understand the idea. I'm a monster underdog. Let's have a chance to win. The other thing that was uh, a little bit awry for me, there's still a minute and a half left. Yeah. There's, that's too much time for the opponent to come back and do it. I, I think I tie the game right there. Okay. But either way, Clemson's probably going to come down, even though they hadn't had a lot of success. You figure they're going to come down and show the class that they are and, and win the game with a field goal, whether you make it or miss it. You make the two-point conversion. You miss the two-point conversion. You make the extra point. It doesn't really matter much if Clemson comes down and scores. Well, you're absolutely right. But again, you your defense is held into 14 points. And there's a chance that you can get them to throw three incompletions and you get the ball back. I, I think it would have been very interesting to put that kind of pressure on the number one team in the country, having to come from that situation, especially yeah, yeah. Uh, with their quarterback still relatively inexperienced it's in those kind of situations. Do we learn anything from these close calls, or is it just college football, it's kids? You know, Clemson lost to Syracuse a couple of years ago. Uh, last year, they almost lost to Syracuse at the very end. There was a close call. Or do, do you say, okay, North Carolina showed something that other opponents will do defensively with uh, with Lawrence and Clemson? Or is just just one of those days on a Saturday in, in Chapel Hill? I think it's one of those days. And I think almost every really good team faces it. And so Clemson can look at their past and say, this has been part of uh, the blueprint for our championship runs. We have to get tested. We have to prove we can come out the other side still unscathed. And uh, now let's get better. We now have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say we're not good enough. And I, that, that clearly is the case offensively. Uh, they they need to get uh, things going in the right direction. Their quarterback, who came into the season lauded as you know the potential number one pick, if they allowed sophomores to come out in the draft. Uh, their quarterback is is not on par with a number of guys out there. Uh, Mitch, coming into the weekend, there were 24 guys in college football that were completing 70% or more. That's double the number from a year ago at the same time. This is a uh, a time where college football has never been easier to complete passes with the RPOs and all the different offensive advantages that exist. But Trevor Lawrence is not enjoying all of that uh, advantage right now. At least the numbers don't indicate so. Mm, that's interesting. Your, your guy who you talk about every week on this podcast, Jalen Hurts, didn't disappoint you this weekend against Texas Tech. I think it was 17 of 24, 400 and something yards and a bunch of touchdowns as he continues his race to the college football playoff and maybe even a Heisman Trophy award in December. 
Yeah, I, he's still the perfect transfer. There's going to be a lot of sentimental ballots headed his way. Uh, he's playing terrific football. And, and we, we, when we do, as we throw those numbers out, and they're gaudy to say the least, uh, he also, you know, coming into the week uh, was sixth in the country in rushing. I mean, he is, he is spectacular in terms of the numbers. He's a spectacular leader. He, he's been a model citizen throughout his career. Uh, you, if you like college football, you like Jalen Hurts. What is left in front of him? You know, as I look at his schedule, I don't see a lot of real difficult games. There's the Texas game, obviously. But other than that, right. I, don't, I, I don't know that he plays a top 25 game besides Texas the rest of the year. Well, I think Oklahoma State's going to be formidable. Okay. Uh, you know, they've got a nice little triumvirate of, of skill. Their quarterback, Spencer Sanders, their redshirt freshman, is a pretty darn good player. Uh, they've got a running back that just a couple uh, weeks ago was leading the country, Chuba Hubbard. And uh, they've got a wide receiver that I think is the envy of a lot of teams at the NFL level uh, by the name of Tylen Wallace. So uh, they'll be they'll be a test. Uh, but but there's no question that they're the class of the uh, Big 12. You mentioned the Red River rivalry. That will be a big game here. I think October 12th will be that uh, game. But but uh, there's no reason for Oklahoma not to find themselves back in the college football playoff. Let me get a thought or two on the Pac-12 before we uh, look ahead to what's to come in college football with Rick Neuheisel brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Fireside says football season is fireplace season. Rick, you had uh, Washington with a good, solid victory over USC here in Seattle over the weekend, a Cougars team and Utah team. We talked about that game. You accurately projected that you thought Utah would hold serve at home. They really did a number on Washington State. And then you had, I don't know if you saw Mike Leach's comments after the game, some of the choice yeah. words that he had for his team. You don't see a lot of coaches calling uh, calling out his players like Mike Leach will. Uh, some thoughts on, on Washington's win, Utah's win, as we try to figure out what's what in the Pac-12 as we approach midseason? Well, well let's, let's start with uh, Mike uh, and, and his comments after the game. This is the second time I can recall him, him doing this, which is just basically, uh, I, I would call it cruel and unusual punishment towards the players, right. uh, given the kind of commitment that the student athletes have to give towards this game and the fact that this is a team that won 11 games this year. And as he said, in the post game conference, uh, press conference, the money of these guys are back. Uh, you recall a few years ago, it was the, it was the fat girlfriends. That was, that yeah, was the problem. Yeah, now it's yeah. the fat team. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know why he does this, you know, far be it for me to try to, you know, pick the mind that is Mike Leach. Uh, obviously he's been very successful He's got a job, and I'm I'm uh, doing TV, so uh, I'm not going to be overly critical. But I do think that it's part of the coach's responsibility when things go awry to take some of the responsibility himself. I go back to 2013 when uh, he took a team to a bowl game against Colorado State, and uh, when Connor Holiday hit a third down and six pass with uh, two minutes and 26 seconds left, the game was over. All he had to do is let the clock run down, take a knee, let the clock run down to one, take a knee, and so on and so forth. And he could have uh, walked off with a bowl win, but he chose to hand the ball off. They uh, end up losing the game to Colorado State in, in unbelievable fashion. And at the end of the game, he says, we didn't finish. No, 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 Mike, you didn't finish. 
And, and I just, when I hear these things, I don't want to try to pick a fight with Mike Leach. He's, he's a wonderful guy and a good coach, but I don't understand why he doesn't say we have to look at ourselves. It doesn't have to just be about the players. I think uh, when you, you're unsuccessful in this venture, it's got to be all of us are responsible for the loss. Okay. How about the, the, the look of the conference now with Utah winning and saying to all of us who listen, hey, the USC game was a fluke. We're very, very good. What they did to that Washington State offense, I watched a lot of that game. Very impressive how they slowed down that Washington State offense. And I just kind of close my eyes and I wonder what it's going to look like when Utah comes here on November the 2nd against Washington. And then you had Washington beating USC. You had Cal. Right. You had Cal losing. Give me, where, where are we in the Pac-12 right now? Is it just a bunch of pillow? Well, we're, is it a bunch of pillow fights, or is it something interesting? No, I think it's interesting. I think there are some really good football being played. Uh, give Utah a great deal of credit, especially in their secondary, to respond to what was a horrible game against USC in the back end, where the ball was just up there, up for grabs, and what were supposed to be 50-50 balls became like 80-20 balls for the Trojans. Uh, we talked uh, over the week about how uh, Chris Peterson and his troops had had great success over the years against this air raid offense that is Mike Leach's. Uh, I think the most amount of points Mike Leach has scored against the Chris Peterson defense was 17 in five tries. And here came Graham Harrell from USC, who's a Mike Leach disciple. Well, they held him to 14 points. I think it's interesting as you look at the uh, the box score, both USC and the Tro and uh, the Huskies managed more running yards than they did passing. When we would have thought, obviously, the opposite, given what everybody was thinking about Jacob Eason and certainly about uh, the USC offense. So I think it's. Uh, it's a great win for the Huskies. If you look at the schedule, it sets up really nicely. Their home games are the big games, right? Oregon will be at home. Utah will be at home. Washington State will be at home. Right. Uh, they'll have some. They'll have some tough trips on the road. I think that one in Tucson is always hard for them. And if Khalil Tate gets well, I think that will be a hard game for them. But uh, it was a terrific win for the Huskies, and I think they and Oregon are both still alive. And I and, and I also believe uh, Utah, given that the, the impressive uh, nature of that win last night at home, I think all three of those teams are still alive in the national title run. Do you really feel that way? I mean, think about what you're saying. I really do. I mean, I mean to talk about I, Oklahoma, I really you're talking do. about yeah. Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma, think about how many teams would have to lose twice. Oklahoma and Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson. Wouldn't these teams, all these great teams, wouldn't they have to lose twice for a one-loss Pac-12 team like Utah, Washington, uh, to, to end up in the national championship picture? If, if we get an Ohio State team that uh, loses, say, in the conference title game to a, to a one-loss or two-loss uh, Western Division uh, uh, participant, say Iowa and or Wisconsin, come into that game with uh, one or two losses, and Ohio State gets knocked off by them. Or you get the same thing. In, I mean, Clemson right now, if they get knocked off, as they've looked very vulnerable, then, then it creates spots for a one-loss uh, Pac-12 title uh, uh, championship uh, winner to get there. I, I don't say that it's easy, but they're still alive. And if they get playing good football, I think the fact that uh, what they've done early has been representative of good football. Uh, you know, a, a losing a game at 1.30 in the morning, I think the committee can overlook. Losing a game at USC on a Friday night when uh, uh, I, maybe it's harder for Utah 
Uh, Oregon to lose to Auburn. I think Auburn is is showing themselves to be an outstanding team. They've got Florida this week. I expect them to beat the Gators, an undefeated team coming into the weekend. So I think uh, there's still Pac-12 hope. I think the Pac-12, at least at the top end, is playing good football. Uh, and I and I do uh, I think I can say it with a straight face that they're still alive. Yeah, I don't know. I I I want to believe you, and I want to understand what you're saying. <laughs> I I think I think the part of this that you're not addressing that you and I both know exists is the intangible, and that is the Pac-12's reputation to start. I mean, if the Pac-12 right. if the Pac-12 had a great reputation right now, a strong repu- reputation, I would say that everything that you just said is not only fair but more than fair. But you go into this whole conversation knowing that the country thinks the Pac-12 is playing inferior football to begin with, which takes whatever you just said and you kind of multiply it times 0.5, and it makes it even harder for this team, these teams, to overcome you know, one losses like that. I, I think you're right, but I think there's the pendulum is swinging a little bit back because I think there's a real concern about what's going on in the ACC. Okay. The fact that Clemson uh, had a near miss against North Carolina, a team that lost to Appalachian State the week before, and you look at the rest of the ACC, there you'd find you'd be hard pressed to find a college football quote expert to say. That the pack that the ACC is better than the Pac-12, they, they you can't find one because they know it's a very very down year. Florida State's down, Miami's down, uh, Louisville is down, uh, most of the Virginia Tech is down. The, the the people that are carrying the banner is are Wake Forest right now. I mean Virginia got beat by 15 uh, at Notre Dame. So to me this is uh, not as 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 one-sided as it used to be that the Pac-12 was the the least common denominator of the Power Five, I don't think that's the case anymore, which means that the power at the top, as long as they continue to play good football, and I think it was critical that Washington got to play the Trojans at 1230 at a time when the country got to see that was quality football. I, I still think they're in the uh, – I think they're in the okay. count. All right. Brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Uh, Rick Neuheisel each and every week on the podcast. This is podcast number 59. All right, give me some Rick's picks, will you, before you run out on me? I'm assuming you think that Ohio State in a matchup of top 25 teams will handle in Columbus, Michigan State, or am I wrong about that? Ohio State and Oklahoma are the best two teams in the country right now, so I think they are absolutely going to continue to roll. Uh, I, I think that uh, we're going to have a whale of a game in the swamp. Uh, Auburn is going to play there. I think Auburn, uh, with their offensive uh, uh, play calling, now in the hands again of Gus Malzahn, will be very, very steady on that side of the ball. But their defense will dominate a still-fledgling offensive line for Florida. Okay. And I, I would guess that uh, it will be – uh, Auburn okay. uh, in, in maybe one-sided fashion okay. in the swamp. All right, Auburn wins in Gainesville. Uh, that, How about Iowa-Michigan in a matchup of a couple top 20 teams? I Until I see otherwise, I'm going with Iowa. Uh, I think it'll be low scoring. I think it's kind of like a 21-17 game. But I'm going to go with Nate Stanley and A.J. Epinesa and company uh, to take down the Wolverines. Okay. Now, you, when you say until you see otherwise, is there something that could happen between now there's, and Saturday? There's not, <laughs> no, there's just nothing, nothing that I have seen other than Rutgers, who unfortunately uh, Chris Ash felt the, uh, the sting of uh, unemployment today. But uh, he's got a nice little check to greet him at the door. 
uh, Rutgers firing their head football yeah, coach, Chris Ash. I saw that. But, but uh, other than the, the Rutgers win, Michigan still is in disarray. And until I see him against a quality team, I've got to say the quality team's got a chance to beat him, and I'm going to go with Iowa. All right. So Iowa to beat Michigan and Ann Arbor. You've got Auburn uh, to defeat Florida. You're taking two road teams in Gainesville, and then you expect Ohio State to continue to roll and to handle Michigan State. Is that right? I got you down for three Rick's picks. Is that right? You got me exactly <laughs> correctly. Yeah. All right. Thanks for being on. Uh, thanks for being on episode 59. Don't be criticizing your CBS coworkers like Mike Leach did after his game uh, in Salt Lake City the other night. Okay. No, they're all they're all in fine shape. They may be entitled, <laughs> but they're in fine shape. Thank you, Rick. Talk to you next week. Thank you so much. See you, man. Take care. Gotta love Newheisel, Rick Newheisel of CBS Sports right here on Mitch Unfiltered every single week, wrapping up the college football weekend and looking ahead with Rick's picks. Nothing better. So you've heard me talk about Evergreen Golf Call for months and the success that Tyler Hayes' team in Bellevue and in Portland and in San Francisco, the Napa Valley, have had growing money for their high-worth individuals. And you've said, like me, so what about me, the common guy? How do we get involved? Here it is. Evervestment, powered by Evergreen Golf Call, a digital investing platform that combines the ease of a robo-advisor with decades of proven investment experience. You can use this online solution. You don't need to be a millionaire to get access to those same strategies that they use for their clients, but all at a discounted rate. Go right online and see for yourself. So whether you're saving for your first vacation home, your first day of retirement, Evervestment can get you there. Go to the site. It's brand new, www.everevestment.com. It'll guide you through the process to start investing for your future today. Not a millionaire? Invest like one anyway. Evervestment from Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Here is Jacques Jones. One up the Mariners lead. Pop up. Left side. Bettencourt is there. Waits. And he makes the catch. And Felix Hernandez has his first major league win. Euclidus with a swing and a miss. He strikes out the Red Sox tonight. Run into Felix Hernandez who allows just one hit in the complete game shutout. He's one for eight. He got his base hit down in San Diego. And sends a drive to deep right center field. That baby is going to be fly away. Get out the right bread and mustard grandma. The Mariners' first grand slam of the year comes from Felix Hernandez. My, oh my, unbelievable. And I, I just want to stay here. That's what we want. And uh, they offer me a good contract. And... I don't care what I'm being. I just want to be here. I just want to win here. That's what we want. The Seattle Mariners, Felix Hernandez, the 2-2. He got him! 34 years, 119 games. It's finally happened. A perfect game by a Seattle Mariner. It was done by the king, Felix Hernandez. This is going to be it. He's going to take his final bow right now. Everybody rising to their feet. Scott Service hearing it from the fans. Felix has thrown 106 pitches. And ladies and gentlemen, we are witnessing the culmination 
of a magnificent Mariners career. Just because the NFL and college football kind of take center stage, that doesn't mean we can't talk about what happened last Thursday night here in the Pacific Northwest. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is Corey Brock, who covers the Seattle Mariners for the Athletic. There haven't been a lot of reasons to talk to Corey over the course of the year, but we've we've found ways to get Corey onto the podcast. Corey, what a unique evening it was on Thursday. I was going to call it Safeco Field. He called it Safeco Field in his press comments over and over again, so I guess I'm allowed to not call it T-Mobile Park. Uh, what was it like for you as a member of the media to uh, to experience Felix Hernandez as probably his last start ever as a Mariner? Yeah, Mitch, I'm with you. It's still Safeco Field to me as well. I have trouble with that, but what a cool night Thursday was, and uh, certainly a lot of anticipation over not so much uh, – you know, what was going to be tied to the results, but just because it was going to be his last start and uh, the connection that he's always had with the King's court and how he'd be received. And, you know, they sold over 10,000 of those King's court tickets and people were loud. I went and I sat in the crowd and I wrote a story from it and it was electric down there. And the, the way he reacted, you know, after a strikeout pointing to the King's court, you know, the, uh, the emotional meeting at the Maui Scott service. And then of course his equivalent of a victory lap afterwards. I, I think this is going to go down, honestly, Mitch. And I'm, I don't think I'm overselling it here, especially for a franchise that doesn't have a storied postseason history. I think this is going to go down as one of the, maybe the coolest nights in, in franchise history when it's all said and done, just because of the magnitude of it. And you seldom get a chance to say goodbye to a guy who's leaving it's sort of on his own terms. I mean, his contract's expired, but just a, a really cool night with a lot of great memories it created, not just for his teammates, not for himself, but the fans and also for us reporters up in the press box. Right. When I watched on Thursday and I saw the highlights, Corey, you know, we've seen these types of situations over and over again in sports. We love them. Uh, we, we don't wish for them. We don't want to see our heroes come, their careers come to an end in a specific place. But we've seen these things happen where the guy tips his cap and there's a connection a little bit here and there. I think what you're talking about was the emotion that made it special. I understand. I didn't see it. I understand it was even, it, it even went back to when he went out to the bullpen to warm up. Is that right? There were tears going out to warm up when he walked past the King's Court. It's it's that emotion. Yeah. It's that emotional ac- accountability, for lack of a better phrase. I'm not smart enough. You're the wordsmith. You'll have to help me out on this. There was something about the evening that made it more special because you saw it written all over Felix's face from beginning to end. Absolutely, it really resonated with him, and it always has. The fans, you know, I've always said this that you know they've needed him as much as he's needed them, and. There's, a, you know, it's certainly across the landscape of sports, and you've seen it a lot, Mitch. You know, a lot of these professional athletes are fairly robotic in their personalities. Maybe the sport they play truly feels like a job more than anything to them. That was never the case with Felix. Uh, he was a playful character, outgoing, gregarious, uh, loved by his teammates, and a guy who really sought acceptance and gained it from the fan base in Seattle. And for, you know, the longest time, Mitch, you remember the dry spell here, um, he was really the only reason to come watch games um, for, for a long stretch there because the team wasn't very competitive and they never surrounded him with enough talent. So, yeah, I think there's a true sense that, you know, this is a guy that 
stayed with the organization his entire career, that he was truly one of their own. And I think uh, there was a special kinship there that maybe rates as a little different than Edgar Martinez or yeah. Ken Griffey Jr. I'm not yeah. saying it meant more, but I just think it meant something a little different. Well, I think what you're talking about and what I talked about earlier on in this episode, Corey, is you know, he came here as a 16-year-old. He started as a professor. He started in the big leagues as a 19-year-old, I think was the, was the age, which gave him an opportunity as one of, if not the greatest starting right-hander in the game, to be a free agent at a very, very early age and to be able to just sit at a table and have the Yankees and Red Sox and all the big market teams line up to throw records amount of money and contract years at him. And yet twice, as I recall, he had the opportunity to at least become a free agent and see what was behind door numbers two, three, four, and five. And then if he wanted to sign back with the Mariners, fine. And yet in total abnormal fashion in professional sports, he turned that aside. He signed his deal with the Mariners before he got to that point, which is crazy to think when you consider how poor of team. You know, he was key. He kept on signing back to return to a bad baseball team, essentially saying with his actions, look, I don't care about those other places. I'm a Mariner. I love Seattle. This is where I want to be. This is where I want to spend my career. And it's that I think that differentiates him from all the other guys, except for maybe Edgar, because Edgar was here and never really showed any inclination to go anywhere else. But what I would say the difference between Edgar and, and Felix is Corey, and I know I'm long-winded here, I, I think the difference between Edgar and Felix is Edgar was never what Felix was when he was 25, 26, which was the game's greatest at a certain point. I mean, every the Yankee, how, how many times did we spend segments on the radio show talking about how the Yankees were trying to do everything they could to either trade or sign this guy through free agency? We're talking about $30 million a year contracts and eight, 10 years, and yet he just never even got to that point. And was never really interested in that and told his agents as long as a year before he signed that deal, Mitch, that he had no interest in leaving Seattle and that this is where he wanted to be. And I truly think that he felt his career was tied to this franchise, tied to this city. And I think he always felt, and probably right up until the end here, that um, that next playoff uh, spot, you know, which we're now going on, but since 2001, that was always coming around the corner, right. and he wanted to be part of something big. Right. But over time, I think what became bigger to him was just um, pitching in a place that was comfortable to him with people he knew in front of a fan base that adored him. And, uh, you know, that means something to him. This is, you know, this is a guy who cares about what fans think about him. I think that's what makes him special because I think that's what makes him human. Um, again, I get back to my original statement about, you know, he's not a robot. He's like you and me where, you know, we seek acceptance. I think we all kind of want to be loved to a certain degree. And it certainly realize that this was home for him this is always going to be home and he never wanted to leave Corey brock is the voice that you hear he does it so well for the athletic if you're not a subscriber to the athletic like me you ought to do so let's talk a little about a little bit about the other side of felix the shame of it all is he's not i don't think he's ever going to be in the baseball hall of fame because the great pitchers the great starting pitchers when they hit that wall that first wall Corey. Uh, for lack of a better explanation, they're able to adjust and kind of reinvent themselves and get get through it and continue to be really good. 
He was never quite able to do that. When he hit the wall and he lost velocity and he lost that fastball, he was never able to do what Justin Verlander, for an example, he just in my mind, was it? And that's the reason why, in my estimation, he'll never be an actual baseball Hall of Famer. Why do you think Felix could not reinvent himself like some of those other great pitchers? Well, and I've thought an awful lot about this, Mitch, and I, I think we have to really take a closer look at um, – well, first of all, let me say this. I think some guys can do it, some guys can't, some guys will, some guys won't. But I think in his case, I think we really have to look at his – arrival in the big leagues was came at such an earlier time than a lot of uh, young pitchers who we were talking about maybe arrived when they're 22 23 years old he arrived when he was 19 and you know i i think people understand that when you at least for pitchers a power pitchers max effort pitchers like felix you know you don't have a infinite number of bullets and or innings to use until you just decide you're finished. Ultimately, your skill set's going to diminish. So therefore, you know, when he gets to be 30, 31, 32, and he's already been in the big leagues over well over a decade, I think it was only natural to think that his stuff would slip. Now, are there certainly, are there some things that he could have done to help himself out in terms of reinventing himself a little bit? Absolutely. And they've talked to him about this, about pitching the contact, getting more balls in play early in the count. But You know, I think one of the things that made Felix so great, Mitch, and maybe ultimately was a detriment to him was his pride. You know, sort of that hubris that I'm King Felix. Mm -hmm. I'm here's a fastball, and I'm gonna, you know, do, you know, do you know what with it? You know, but I think he always had trouble getting off that, moving away from what he once was to where he was. So I think that was a really tough one for him, and ultimately, uh, I think that fed into. Uh, these last few years that were substandard for him. So I think it was a lot of different factors. I think he probably, uh, could, the team could have asked him to work harder years ago. He could have worked harder. It's shared culpability, really. But ultimately, it falls on his shoulders. But I think the cool thing about all this, Mitch, is at the end of the day, none of that's really going to be remembered. It's a part of his story, but ultimately, it's not his legacy. And, you know, he will leave here a, a beloved figure uh, today, tomorrow, and for years to come. You know, I heard, I think I heard 59 was the number. 59 times, 59 starts of zero or one run allowed where he got either a loss or a no decision, which, I, I, I mean, I don't have the, 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 the stat books in front of me, but maybe a guy like Jason Stark could answer how many pitchers have ever done that in a Major League Baseball career. He's considered the greatest pitcher ever in a Mariners uniform because he owns all the Mariner records, like games started and wins and strikeouts. How do you view him versus Randy Johnson when Randy Johnson was here, even though Randy would go on and win, what, three or four Cy Youngs and World Championships elsewhere? How do you view one versus the other as Mariner great starting pitchers? Yeah, and it's it's a tough one to delineate between the two, but I think you look at Felix as like the long body of work and for that long period of time where he was truly one of the game's most elite pitchers, won a Cy Young title, uh, maybe should have won two, a couple ERA titles through the uh, perfect game, of course, in 2012. I mean, for a long stretch there, he was, you know, you could count the top pitchers in the game on one hand and he would be in that top five. Randy's certainly a part of 
uh, some of the best teams in franchise history, ultra-dominant stuff. Um, his window in Seattle was certainly far, far shorter than Felix's. So, you know, it, for me, I think, you know, you're looking at two different things here. You're looking at his statistical accomplishments. Um, that, that Those are tangible. And then I look at the intangible things, sort of what he meant to this franchise for such a long period of time. And I think when you add both those together, for me, uh, Felix is still the best pitcher um, that we'll probably ever see for this yeah. franchise. Corey, on Thursday night, he repeated over and over again after the fact that he's not retiring. At least he's not voluntarily retiring. And then he made a crack about, I don't know if I can get a job, but I want to pitch next year. What do you think happens? I would think that clearly somebody, some team would give him a, you know, like an invite, like a, I don't know what you call it, like to make the team, a, a tryout to make the team. If nobody signs him up, are, are the Mariners, we, you and I have had this conversation before, nobody has, n- nobody has loyalty, nobody has fondness for the past quite like the Mariners, and it's gotten them in trouble, I think, from time to time. If nobody gives the guy, yeah. if, if nobody gives the guy a job, is it possible that he would be like a spring training invite for the Mariners to try to make the team? Or do you think Jerry has gone to ownership and said, listen, I'm trying to do something here. We're trying to rebuild, remake, remodel this organization. And yeah, we love Felix, but that just just having Felix around kind of flies in the face of what I'm trying to do here. I think that's totally it. And I think it's going to be hard for him to find a guaranteed big league job. What I think is going to happen is maybe he gets a minor league deal with an invitation to spring training. Uh, the Marlins come to mind for me because, you know, he lives in Miami in the off season. They're certainly desperate for starting pitching. And, you know, that could be a winner at the gate for them if that truly panned out. But in terms of if he's still jobless and it's February and it's March, I just don't think the Mariners can go down that path again. I really don't think they can. And, yeah, I'm a, a, you and I have talked about this, Mitch. Their unwillingness to let go of the past a little bit has come back to bite them. Um, I just don't think they'll go down that road. I think, uh, you know, that what happened on Thursday was a perfect send-off for him. Thank you very much. Um, we wish you the best of luck. Um, but, yeah, that, that chapter is over here because I think for where they're at with this rebuild and moving forward, you know, there's no place for him uh, for a 33-year-old with a diminished skill set and, uh, you know, for this – and there's no spot in the rotation for him. So, you know, I think um, his days are over in Seattle, and I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. And no one will ever wear 34 again in Seattle, right? No. No, yeah. but you could probably buy it at the team store. <laughs> so I'm going to wear 34 again. No one, no one on a baseball field is going to wear 34 again. Great, uh, great stuff, Corey. Re- I-, I loved your piece on Thursday nights. Uh, the recap of Thursday night through your eyes. It was terrific. Everybody uh, does such a great job in the athletic. And I, as I've said to you over and over again, and I'm going to say it to you every time you come on, just so that I can get you to come on again. And that is that I'm, uh, I'm indebted to you. Thank you, Corey. Terrific stuff. Uh, We'll watch what happens with Felix uh, next, but we all have great memories of 34 and what he's meant to the Northwest and the Seattle Mariners. Thanks for being back on Mitch Unfiltered. Yeah, always a pleasure, Mitch. Thanks for having me. All in all, a very emotional Thursday night at T-Mobile Park. Felix Hernandez, 15 years later, after he debuted as a Seattle Mariner at the age of 19, he throws his final game, it looks like anyway, wearing that number 34 in a Mariners uniform, and he never got the opportunity to toss a post 
season inning. Criminal. Last week, I got the opportunity to host a little viewing event for the Seahawks Saints game at the Linwood location of Zeke's Pizza. I'm planning the next one. How about Thursday night? Rams Seahawks on Thursday night football. Should we do a little a little Kirkland, a little last-minute Kirkland location or Tacoma? You guys do realize, by the way, that you could be enjoying great Zeke's Pizza at home, craft beer, cider, whatever, as you watch the Seahawks or Husky games or whoever your favorite football team in your family room on Sundays, Mondays, Thursdays, Saturdays. Download and use their mobile app at Zeke's Pizza or Zeke'sPizza.com. Call 206-285-8646. They'll come straight to your door. Any combination of food and beer, just as long as it's a minimum of 15 bucks and you're 21 You can mix, match, order six different beers, whatever you want. All the drivers have a shoulder cooler, so the beers will show up nice and cold. And remember, the one who orders has to be 21 and receive it at the door. It's time to start watching your favorite football teams, college or pro, with Zeke's Pizza. 206-285-8646. Zeke'sPizza.com or download and use the mobile app. Zeke's Pizza, maybe on Thursday night for the Rams game, we'll all get together at the Kirkland or Tacoma location. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. We have breaking news here on CBS Sports HQ. Kansas has received its notice of allegations from the NCAA, which include three potential major violations for the men's basketball program. This according to Yahoo Sports. The Jayhawks have been charged with lack of institutional control, and Coach Bill Self is facing a charge as well. The level one violations are tied in part to the recruitments of Billy Preston and Silvio DeSouza. All right, in the midst of the uh, the great college football and NFL football season, there's this big news from the world of uh, sports. Last Monday, the NCAA delivered what they call a notice of allegations to the Kansas Athletic Department, major violations against Bill Self and that prestigious college basketball program. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is Kansas City star columnist, uh, Vahe Gregorian and Vahe, thanks for being with us. I'm assuming that the attention on this story, this huge college basketball story, still in your neck of the woods, is getting dwarfed by the record-setting exploits of Patrick Mahomes in that Chiefs offense these days. Well, that's about right, Mitch. We, we find a way to write about Patrick almost every day. In fact, I'm working on something right now about just his temperament on the field. He looked a little grouchy last week, um, and... Right now, any little thing he does that looks different is a chance for us to write about it. <laughs> I will say this, though. The Kansas thing has, has certainly gotten a lot of attention here. A lot of our readership um, is, is Kansas basketball uh, crazy. Um, you know, we're in Missouri. The Kansas City Star is in Missouri. Lawrence, though, is about 45 minutes away. And I, I would say the most heavy basketball, college basketball interest we have, despite the fact Kansas State and University of Missouri are nearby, is absolutely KU. Yeah. Vahe, this was not a surprise, right? We expected something like this. We just didn't know when it was coming, correct? That's that's about right. The NCAA made a point of saying that six programs were going to get notice of allegations of of major violations uh, a few months ago, and we reported here at the Kansas City Star on Friday that the notice was going to be coming shortly to KU. Uh, the news came out on Monday, um, and, you know, you could decide for yourself whether when Kansas actually got the news, but they, the institution sure had a pretty hefty uh, response ready 
by late Monday afternoon. So it makes you think they might have had it in hand a little sooner. The infamous lack of institutional control, three level one violations, head coach responsibility violation levied against self. Uh, Am I assuming all of us college basketball fans, are we to assume this is about shoe companies paying players to switch commitments from somewhere else to Kansas or, uh, you know, kind of go into this a little bit with us, Vahe? Well, sure, at the essence of this, I mean, with seven different things that they summarized in the report, um, five of them, I think, three three to four of them, I guess I should say, seem to be directly related to shoe company situations. So that's, that's in there. Oddly enough, just a, just a sort of curious side note, there is a football allegation in there, which took on an interesting wrinkle with some reporting we did today. Long and short of it is, when, when Kansas fired football coach David Beatty, it made a point of including an NCAA violation in there of having uh, an inappropriate um, feedback and, and uh, involvement of, of non-staff uh, in, in practice situations. Lo and behold, the same thing is happening under Les Miles in footage that we obtained. Uh-huh. And it gives, gives the appearance, again, long story short, it's hard to summarize this stuff, gives the appearance that they were just doing that to try to create a situation where they didn't have to pay David Beatty. And so now Kansas has to answer to that question, too. The voice of Vahe Gregorian, the columnist of the Kansas City Star, I'd like you to discuss what the impact is on Bill Self, who's been revered around college basketball for the last many years as one of the very top, top coaches in the sport, was always thought to have run a clean program. Of course, these are only allegations, and he has been defiant in his reaction. We can read a little bit of that. They're going to fight, 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 says Kansas, because this are, these are unfounded allegations, at least that's what he's saying. What, what locally has been the reaction to Bill Self once reading all of this? Well, in a way, it's about what you'd predict, right? People that are, are rabid KU fans are sort of acting like, I don't know, which hunt might be a little strong, but they, that, that this is unfounded, and they support Bill, and they don't want Bill to leave no matter what. People that are, you know, around the country that, that may not feel connected to Kansas or in our area that, that dislike Kansas feel like, see, this just shows he's a cheater. So it's, it's a bit in the eye of the beholder, um, the interesting thing is that the allegations, I mean, certainly include some rather specific, um, tangible evidence built off the FBI Adidas trial connecting Kansas assistance, and and that is now under the jurisdiction of the KU head basketball coach. I mean, he's responsible for what happens with his assistants. Um, so I think the, the way we've tried to view the question now is what is – what is at stake in terms of what the penalties could be and what does that mean for the future of Bill Self? If Kansas were assessed major penalties and the appeal failed to, uh, to eradicate that for Kansas, then let's say for argument's sake, Kansas gets a one postseason ban, one year postseason ban and three scholarship reductions. Is that enough to tip the scale for Bill Self to say, you know what, I'm, I'm out. I mean, right now we have no reason to think that. We have understood um, in the past that Bill might have an interest in the NBA at some point. Um, no way to really know what this means. I mean, he does seem pretty dug in at this moment to, uh, to re- repudiate this, though. Vahe, you just asked the question, would Bill say, I'm out? That's the way you termed it. You did not ask the question whether if they find guilt and the, uh, the appeal falls short – 
whether Kansas would say these are these are big enough sanctions that we've just received to relieve Bill Self of his head coaching duties. Yeah, and that's a good that's a good thing to point out. And and uh, in a sense, I'm I'm uh, what we call bass backwards on that point because here, here's but here's the reason I went that way. Right now, at least as far as we can see it, Kansas is vehemently in Bill Self's corner, despite having this stuff put out there uh, the way it's been laid out and. You know and I know NCAA is different than a court of law, obviously. What what the situation really is, is it's on on Kansas to prove it's not guilty. I mean, that, that's how it works. Um, so my instinct at this point is that the fight we're seeing um, on behalf of Bill Self is the fight we're going to see Kansas continue to have, that it's going to say, this, this, we've seen this evidence, this is what we know, and we don't think that Bill Self did anything wrong or did enough wrong that he would be in jeopardy. So that, that's my starting point on this, just seeing how Kansas seems to view it right now. Right. Obviously, that could change. That right. certainly could change. But if your notion is that, that Kansas has seen what the argument is against Bill Self or penalties against Bill Self and is immediately thumping his chest saying, he's our guy, then I tend to think that's, that's the uh, default operating mechanism for the foreseeable future. Vahe Gregorian, the columnist of the Kansas City Star, here was Self's reaction, at least on paper, in its haste and attempt to regain control. The enforcement staff has created a false narrative regarding me and our basketball program. The narrative is based on innuendo, half-truths, misimpressions, and mischaracterizations. In reality, we all know there's only one version of the truth. The truth is based on verifiable facts, and I'm confident the facts will demonstrate in our case will expose the inaccuracies of the enforcement staff's narrative. What happens next? These things typically take a long time. You know, full basketball seasons and beyond. I'm assuming it's going to take... There's going to be appeals. There's going to be extensions. There's going to be presentations, Vahe. And we may not know the re, the results of all of this for another over a year, right? I think that's right. I mean, we feel like the way we've treated it is it's unlikely this will be resolved um, in any way that would have an impact on this basketball season, most likely on into mid-2020. Uh, Kansas, for instance, has 90 days at minimum to respond officially. And then there's a whole you know, process of NCAA preparing its rebuttal, for lack of a better term. And, and if, if there are penalties assessed that Kansas wants to respond to, then next thing you know, uh, Kansas can appeal. So this could get drawn out. There are those who think that um, this could end up in federal court. Mm. So there, there's, a whole, there's a whole crazy convoluted pipeline ahead and, and with no way to really know what the actual – Deadline. I mean, there's no drop-dead deadline where you say, okay, this is when it's going to be clear. And in the meantime, what kind of team is Self supposed to have this year? I'm assuming very good because he always has very good teams. And how do these lingering accusations that involve the coaching staff and players that are frankly no longer in the program, what kind of impact does that have sitting around the Kansas basketball program as they ready themselves for 1920? Uh, well, first of all, they will have a really good team. I think they'll show up in the top five in the preseason rankings. They've got some veterans and some, and some great new talent, as they always do. Phil has made it a point that this will be a rallying cry for him 
that he will feel obsessive about making this the best season it can be. Players, some of our reporters did speak to players. To a man, they made a point of saying, this has nothing to do with them. It's not going to be a distraction. That's what people will say, though, of course. And there's no way to really know if it will linger in some way. But I think they can feel reasonably confident it won't affect this season. Uh, now, what it could affect is recruiting. It could affect things like that. But as far as the, you know, silo of this season, you know, just the compartment of this season, it really ought not to have any impact other than if they see it as we have a cause, we have a purpose. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, if you want to be uh, cynical, you could say as a kind of a last stand till, till the, uh, the rest of the stuff hits. Yeah. And fans, I'm assuming you're going to close by saying, Vahe, that fans in uh, Tucson, Arizona, Auburn, Alabama, Creighton, Louisville, Baton Rouge, LSU, Los Angeles at USC, all of those fans are holding their breath because their letters are on their way at some point, right? Well, I, I think that's right. And, and uh, this seems to be, I don't know if it's a new era in NCAA enforcement exactly, but it seems to be uh, a renewed emphasis and a uh, Maybe an attempt to send a message that the Blue Bloods uh, aren't, aren't going to have Teflon over them. And we'll see. I, I think there'll be some tremors from this, that's for sure. And how people react to it, whether there'll be a movement away from the NCAA, there's all kinds of big-picture implications that we can only guess about right now. Mm. Vahe Gregorian of the Kansas City Star, terrific columnist. I hope you'll come back to Mitch Unfiltered when we can talk about that 6,000-yard season that it appears Patrick Mahomes is on. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe it's maybe I'm underselling. Maybe it's seven thousand yards, seven thousand yard season that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes have uh, have in the books right now, or it looks like uh, is uh, is on its way. Vahe Gregorian in Kansas City of the Kansas City Star. Thanks for being on the podcast. We thank you very very much. Hope we can have you on again. My pleasure, Mitch. Anytime. Unfiltered. All right, four good guests. What have we accomplished so far? We've uh, we've exhausted the Seahawks victory on Sunday against the Cardinals. Coming up, short turnaround, Thursday night football. Thursday. Players hate Thursday night football. I hate Thursday night football. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Remember Richard Sherman complained about it, and then there he was right. A bunch of people yeah, got a, injured. No, nobody likes kind Thursday of, night football. A three days rest after an NFL game, that doesn't I seem really like I really feel much. for those guys. The yeah. reason I, I'm much more self-centered. I, the reason I hate it is because, you know – as a parent of a, of a, what are they, 14 and 17, and activities and right. basketball practices, it's hard on a, at 5 o'clock, I guess 5 o'clock yep. on a Thursday night, to be able to sit down and, and, and enjoy like you can on a Sunday a football game. So I, I don't like it for the football players. I don't like it for, for me. And really, it's all about me. So I, I don't, I don't like. It. <laughs> but, but as a fan, don't you kind of worry that your players are going to get hurt? Just, I don't know if, I don't know if there's any correlation between a short rest and getting hurt. Maybe it would have happened if the game was on Sunday. It just feels like guys aren't quite ready. They aren't recovered. I mean, you go from six days in between games to three. Well, it's like That's getting into. Much. Have you ever gotten into a car accident? Uh, yes, I have. As a matter of fact, like a big one. Not a big one. I, I did get T-boned once. Okay, by, how'd you feel the next day? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I was a little sore. And. <laughs> What if I told you you had to play a football game? Yeah, you know, three days later instead of That's seven right. days later. That's right. So I don't know. You're, are you are you happy that your your dogs went out and took care of business on Saturday against those USC Trojans? I am. Twenty eight was it? Twenty eight fourteen. Twenty eight fourteen. Yes. Yeah? 
Yeah, it was it was exactly what I thought. I I thought they were because USC looked great against Utah, but they looked like they were sort of punching above their weight in that game. So I was hoping they'd come down a little bit and maybe the the third string quarterback would look like it and he threw three interceptions. So yeah, that was they great. turned him over. They go up to fifteen and sixteen in the polls respectively. They they get a an eighty nine yard run from Ahmed early earlier in the game. He uh, fumbled at the goal line. They they're, luckily they're lucky. they recovered it. They recovered yeah. it for a touchdown. Uh, the defense comes up big, and so they're creeping back up into the national picture, whether that's enough or not. If they ran the table, could they be in the conversation? I mean, there's a lot of discussion. They've got they, – to me, it looked pretty obvious before the game, before the season started, and it looks even more obvious to me now. The Pac-12 and Washington's fate in the Pac-12 is going to come down to a three-week period, a three-week period. They go to Stanford this Saturday. They should win. Stanford's no good. They go to Arizona. They should beat Arizona in Tucson. Then the three-week period. They come home and they play Oregon on October the 19th. Then they have a bye week. And then they play Utah at home the following week. That three-week period where they get a bye and they get Oregon here and Utah here, to me, is going to tell the whole story on whether they're going to be in the Pac-12 championship game, on whether they're going to be in the Rose Bowl, whether they're going to be in the national championship conversation. The whole season is going to come down to October the 19th, home against Oregon, November the 2nd, home against a Utah team who the other night I watched play Washington State. And they really embarrassed, even with Mike Leach's comments after the game, yeah. they really embarrassed Washington State. They, I, they, they murdered Washington State. I thought Washington State was going to drop 50 on everybody this year. Maybe they'd give up 60, but that offense, they completely stopped that offense. What does that tell you about what they'll look like here when they come yeah. here on, on November the 2nd? That I mean, it'd be a tough I game was, for Jacob Eason. I was worried about the Cougars' offense like for Washington's young cornerbacks and young DBs. I mean, that offense looked unstoppable. I don't know what Utah did to stop it. All right, you're up. Seesaw, what do you got? Oh, boy. Let's see. Uh, still not over the Saints game for some reason. Even with the win. I had to, I had to put this in my notes. Why? We should be f- – we the Seahawks should be four and zero. It should be four and zero. That game absolutely is still eating at me. Let I, me make you feel better. I but, told you that it would. I'd be over it. But if for some reason I'm well, not. First of all, look in the look in the mirror. I don't like you. To do guaranteed that. a win. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You said My there's zero percent chance yeah. that the Saints are going to win. That's I, the first thing. And I said zero percent chance the Seahawks are going to win in Arizona to you, offset it. You can't play the game of they should be 4-0 because they could have very easily lost the Cincinnati game in the first week of the season. Yeah, I guess so. They were fortunate to win the Cincinnati game, and then they fumbled the ball away in Pittsburgh, and they made a game out of that one. So they won – look, they, they won the first game by one point or two points and the second game by one point. No, one, one or two. I guess I'm getting greedy. Yeah, I'm getting greedy. All right. Those so, things kind of even out. The Rams are saying – the Rams are going to say in a few weeks, uh, if we only had just beaten the Buccaneers when they came in right. here and hung 55 on us, yeah. we'd be 6-0 and or 7-0. It, it'll, it'll, all, it'll all even out. All right. Vontez perfect. Oh, I like Vontez. Did you see what he did on Sunday? No. No. Cheapest shot you'll ever see oh, in the NFL. Another one? Well, he's the dirtiest he's player. The master he, of it. he may be the dirtiest player I've ever seen in my lifetime. And he – he, he – let's put it this way. It was such a dirty shot on the tight end of the Indianapolis Colts that essentially Vontez Burfecht just ran out out, out just, just ran out the tunnel. He knew he was getting ejected. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, he didn't even wait. To, he, he hardly waited to get ejected. Oh, he my just, gosh. He was in an absolute um, he, non-defensible situation the tight end was in. He was on the ground, on a knee, 
and Burfecht comes from like you'll see the highlight at some point this week. He comes from like five yards away, puts his, just torpedoes his head right into the head of the tight end and gets immediately tossed from the game. He's been fined, by the way, up until this point, four point one two million dollars so far in his uh, NFL career. He'll be fifty-five. Wishing he had that money back. There you go, Vontez Burfecht. What do you got? Quick question about the defenseless player. You see the hit defenseless to, in the, player in the yeah. Seahawks game that was called. That looked like a pretty good hit. It was. Um, Trying to figure out who, who it was. Christian Clark was the was the receiver. Is that right? Kirk or Christian Kirk? Yeah. And it was Thompson. It was, uh, was it Tedrick, Tedrick Thompson? Yeah, Tedrick Thompson. So you have to help me understand this. The defense. Cliff Averill sent out an interesting tweet. Yes, I, I understand your question. What and if I don't Kirk, know the answer. What if Kirk catches it? Is he not allowed to hit him? Does he have to wait? It's a good question. How does that all work? I don't know. Well, I, I I guess the defenseless player you're not allowed to hit, and you got to let him catch the ball and come down with the ball, and you can't hit him until he's defend where well, he can defend himself. I guess that's what they're saying. But I understand your question, and Cliff Averill tweeted out do? the exact same thing. What are you supposed to do? Right. He put his shoulder down. He did right. not lead with his head. But yes, was the wide receiver up in the air in a position where he couldn't defend himself? Yeah. But are you not supposed to play football? Didn't the announcer say was it back? Schlereth, was it? Yeah, he said, when I played football, that was called football. <laughs> right. He's now a, you can't do that anymore. Guess you can't. Right. Yeah, That's I don't right. get it. Jennifer Lopez and Shakira are your halftime is your halftime show at the Super Bowl in Miami in February. Where, where do you stand on that? I thought, was Bruce Springsteen in the in the conversation at some point or no? I thought it was supposed to be him. Or I'd love yeah. to see that. Yeah, that'd Have be Have you ever great. seen Bruce Springsteen in concert? No, because I'm, I'm just not a huge fan. Really? Well, but you have to remember. I had do you to have to be a huge fan to go to any concert or no? It How helps. Does it work? Well, it helps if you know yeah. a lot of them. But I had to explain this to Gas because he was outraged that I had never, you yeah. know, I'm not a. But the Bruce Springsteen that I grew up with was like, you know, born in the USA. What is it? Uh, Dancing in the Dark or all that 80s kind of. Yeah. But he had a whole career before that that I've never gone back to visit. So I'm not a huge Bruce fan. I've never seen him live. So why ask? Are you. Do you want him in the Super Bowl or do you not want him? Well, I just do you I, not like Shakira and Jennifer Lopez? What's your problem with Jennifer Lopez and Shakira? Doesn't do much for me. Shakira and Jennifer Lopez. That doesn't really do much for me. Jennifer Lopez hasn't had a hit in 20 years. Has she ever had a hit? <laughs> I think she. Had I, a I don't even know her as a singer, really. Yeah, yeah. No, she had a couple hits. I know her as a dancer and an actress more than I know her as a singer. She was the first one to kind of start the uh, big booty movement. She was like known for having a big booty, and then we supersized it with like the Kardashians of the world. We thought That's Jennifer right. Lopez had a big booty. That's right. No. That's right. So yeah. you're out. You're out on nah, Jennifer Lopez. Doesn't, and doesn't do much for All me. Right. What do you got? Survivor pool. Can I'm I, out. Can I? Can I make you feel better? I'm out. But I can make you feel better. No. Are, are you, you ready for this? Make me feel better. I'm out. I had the Rams. That's better than having no one. You I had forgot. no one. You forgot. Yes. I remembered it 12.08 today. I'm sorry, on Sunday. It, it, for some reason, it just hit me. I was like, wait, who's who's my survivor pick this week? I log in. Sorry, you've been eliminated. Yeah. Good luck next year. Yeah. This is why I don't know I, that it makes me feel any better. <laughs> at, least you, at least you had a shot. At least for a fleeting second, uh, you thought maybe you were going to win. I don't know that it makes me feel... No, not, not for, I was down 21 nothing before the opening gun. Yeah, but it's 21-14. They're yeah. coming to the Rams. But, but, but the problem that I was in all day is, is that I was watching that game while I was watching the Seahawks game. And am I rooting for my survivor pick over ah, the Rams? That's a tough one. I mean, am I rooting for the Rams to win that game when mm. I'm such a huge Seahawks fan? I was confl- I was like, oh, yeah, Tampa just scored. Oh, no, Tampa just scored. Yeah, oh, right, oh, which is I, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I should have I thought about this. I should have just not called up anybody, called in anybody. But <laughs> that's what I should have done. It's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. So, I'm out, so we're both out? We're both out. We're both out. In the Sad. Yeah. All right. Baseball. 
Got to get in, get in a little baseball, the baseball playoff week. Everybody, a lot of baseball fans around the country will be watching baseball. Of course, we won't be here in Seattle again and again and again. And I don't know that we'll ever be watching playoff baseball. But uh, a little tip of the cap to a guy by the name of Pete Alonzo. Did you see on SportsCenter, Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets, a rookie, over the weekend hit his 53rd home run. So you've heard of the Jeez. you've heard of like uh Hank Aaron's the home run king or Barry Bonds is the home run king sure. and then there's the seasonal home run kings Mark McGuire Barry Bonds depending on who you look at, you know, Roger Maris whatever. The rookie home run king is Pete Alonso. No player in the history of Major League Baseball as a rookie, a first-year player has ever hit 53 homers in a season. Pete Alonso of the New York Mets did that. Who hit 52 before him? Do we know? Mark McGuire, maybe? Or, nah. As a rookie? As a rookie. I mean, he, clearly somebody hit 52 as a yeah, rookie. I yeah. can't think about who it would be. Yeah, that would be see, a hell I of a rookie ha- I should have that. I should have that. That's yeah, all right. I should have that. I should have who he, who he clipped. Yeah. I don't have it. I can go look. Want me to go look? Yeah, go look. I'll, I'll tell you about the bagel guy. Oh, yes. Do you want to hear? And then, I'll, and then I'll close it out with 59. I'll tell you what I have up my sleeve. Or do you, have, you have more than just the bagel guy that you want I got the bagel guy and a quick update on, uh, on somebody we talked about earlier. Okay. All right. Bagel guy was supposed to fight Lenny Dykstra. Lenny Dykstra's had his troubles legally. The baseball player, the bagel guy, if you, everybody remembers, gotten the thing at the bagel store. They were supposed to fight. Lenny Dykstra bailed out like a couple of weeks ago right. and was replaced a by Screech. Dustin Diamond, also known as Screech by, from Saved by the Bell. Now, don't forget, Screech fought the guy from Welcome Back, Cotter. Gabe, in- Gabe Kaplan? <laughs> not Gabe no, Kaplan. Not- <laughs> Why would he fight Gabe Kaplan? Horseshack no. who? Travolta who? Not Horseshack. Not Ron Palillo. He fought Ron Palillo in celebrity boxing. I, oh, 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 Mr. Connor. I know. Oh, oh, yeah. Asking who the vice president is, no idea, but Ron Palillo. Pull that out like it's nothing. Is there a vice president? <laughs> yeah, totally. So he Mozart, he, did he do <laughs> Right. So he, he fought Ron Palillo, like, I don't know, 10 years ago. And, and Dustin Diamond, I think, is a, he's like into martial arts. He can, like, take care of himself. I guess if you're Screech, you have to learn how to fight. He beat the crap out of Ron Palillo. So anyway, they replaced him with Dustin Diamond. And the bagel guy, before the fight, this past weekend, bailed, canceled, no-showed. No. Did not show and then sent out a video taunting the fans who paid the money for it. He bailed. He said, I'm not doing it. Everyone just wanted to watch me get embarrassed. This guy's younger than me. He's bigger than me. Was this, is is the thought that this was all the, it was all, it was. His plan the whole time? The whole time. I, it sounds like it was his plan. Did they though. give him money or anything? Like upfront money that he has to give back? He bailed? He bailed. He quit. He can't. He, he didn't even, he goes. I didn't even tell my brother and and my dad or whoever. He had relatives going to the fight. They went, and they didn't know that their relative, this guy, bagel guy, was going to cancel. So the fight did not happen. Okay. But why would he fight anyway? He's so stupid. Well, you, he got they, caught they, up they in got it. you. They wanted you to fight Joe Hip. Yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> may, you, so maybe you should have gone fight Screech. Glad I canceled. I, I'd fight Screech, but I'm not going to fight Joe Hip. Screech, I'd, if I could have three months of train, yeah. I'd fight Screech. Screech was in the home video, right? Oh. Do we have to talk about that with the two girls or how many girls? Yeah. yeah. Oh, jeez. Okay. okay. All right. Guess it's what good was to that be called? Screech. What, a, uh, was there a name for it? Yeah, Dirty Sea. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah, yeah that, yeah, that, yeah. 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 Gross. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. You said you had one more. I got thing. one quick The update. answer to the question is, um, the answer to the question is Aaron Judge. Oh, Aaron Judge. That's so kind of recent then, not like. Yeah, really recent. Yeah. yeah. Aaron Judge was the rookie holder for most home runs by rookie. Okay. Do you have anything else before I name the show? Quick update on Winston Conrad Wink Martindale. Oh. Don't better tell- alive. Well, he better be alive if I'm calling him to be on the show. <clears throat> he is 
alive. Yes. Born in 1933. So same year as my dad. So he'd be 80, 86 years old. There you go. You'd be 86 years old. What what month in, in, in 1933? December 4th, 1933. So he's going to be 80. He's going to be 86. 86, yeah. In December. in December. There you go. So he's somewhere at 85. Yeah, I, we're going to find him. Lounging around in Burbank. Uh, well, he, you know, I don't know how healthy he is. I don't know if he really wants to be on a, a sports podcast in Seattle talking about Mozart's, uh, Mozart's work paintings i'm not sure his phone's been ringing a lot in the last 30 years he might take your call does he have a landline <laughs> oh for sure and he's in the white pages i bet too <laughs> all right so we here's what we've decided we're doing 59p a friday release instead of a thursday release you yes. and i are going to record it after this late night after the seahawks you're okay the the, the missus is going to be okay about that hey i'm leaving for burbank the next day i'll pack and i'll be ready to go you'll go straight from here to the airport. <laughs> i should yes all right so you want to know who 59 is named after i'm so curious uh, for some reason i feel like it's not football basketball baseball hockey it's none of those that's just my guess well, I told you that 59, we could go Julian Peterson, Ray Penny. Mm -hmm. I taught you who Ray Penny was. Yes. I taught you about, jo I told you about Jack Ham. We could go Seth Joyner. Remember Seth Joyner? He was a good linebacker in the NFL yeah. for a million years. He wore 59 for the Eagles and what have you. Um, or we can go off the board. Did you know that at age 19, making his debut for the Seattle Mariners, Felix Hernandez for the rest of that year, and on that night, wore number 59. Is that right? He wore one other number besides 34, which will be retired, and that was 59 when he first broke into the Mariners. He wore 59 because he was a midseason call-up, yeah. 59, pitched great, then they gave him 34, and the rest is history. So rather than name it Episode Jack Ham or Episode... Blair Bush or episode <laughs> Ray Penny or Julian Peterson. Why not? I, 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 it's kismet. Right? Yeah, it is. Isn't it meant to be? Did it's you, Bechert. Did you, you don't know, know Bechert. <laughs> did you know that that was his number or did you happen to stumble upon that and be like, this is the greatest oh, I, thing ever? I remember it. You remember Not that. only do I remember it. See, something I didn't tell you about Felix is when, when they signed Felix as a 16-year-old, and he was working his way through the minors. I think he even pitched in Everett, I think. He's working his way, a 16- and 17-year-old. I became aware of it because I, I, I used to do a radio mm, show. Okay. And we actually did weekly updates when he was in the minors at 17, and we called him Felix the Cat updates and we would play the Felix the cat the wonderful wonderful cat another timely song on the program and then yeah we would play that and then I would welcome onto the show whoever was calling the action or some media member from like wherever he was in double A and triple A to give us a Felix the cat update so we were chronicling him until he got here and then when he showed up at Chicago or somewhere else and he pitched we couldn't believe it I remembered like it was yesterday he was wearing 59 and that's 59 and look what episode it is done deal so with all due respect and apologies to jack ham yeah he's gonna kick your ass now he's a big boy yeah, he's like 90 oh I can yeah take him okay got no tifas <laughs> episode <laughs> episode felix hernandez the king Standing. is in the books